Welcome to Living in the Stacks, the bi-weekly podcast where we curl up with a good book and discuss what we thought of it. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. <laughs> I'm Diana. And I'm John. Alright, it is the first episode of Living in the Stacks. How excited are we? <laughs> Very excited. We're so pumped. All right. Um, so I guess yeah. <laughs> so we're all very pumped. Lit is lit. Exactly. So excited. Lit AF. Yeah. Lit AF. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, I guess I'll kind of give an intro. So this is this is something I came up with earlier this year, 2018. As uh, I like the idea, I wanted to get back into reading because I was the kid who always took like a stack full of books. In fact, Dexter saw me coming yeah. by the stack of books on the kitchen table. That Dexter saw me coming in from the library uh, where I bought another handful of books including two parts of the Millennium Trilogy, Millennium Saga by Steve Larson, uh, Michael Crichton, a couple of Stephen King, and I forget who else. But yeah, that was always me growing up and since the advent of the internet I had sadly fallen out of that and I wanted to get back in. So I came up with a podcast. Since I'm already since I got into podcasting, this will be a way for me to get back into reading. And I sucked at it when I tried to do it by myself. So I decided, like, maybe having other people would help. Amen. Yeah, it's hard to choose your own books sometimes because you get stuck in. Oh, I like this book, so I'll just read it over and over. And over That's how I am with video life. games. <laughs> cough, cough. Harry Potter. Cough, cough. <laughs> yes. My main issue was I would start reading, and even. I was working my way through it. It was a struggle even with this. Because we're covering a... Um, before we, But for the book this week, it's a short book. It's it's not all that long. And yet, I'm just reading through it. And just even the reg, even this regular prose, I'm just like... Oh, hey, uh, maybe I should put on some like YouTube in the background. And then it's in the background, I'm like... Okay. And then my yeah. brain will just go ADD and wander off somewhere else and I'm like wait wasn't I supposed to be reading what happened what are the words I read <laughs> so I need to get back it back into the habit of paying attention so I'm really rusty um, but as for reading history uh, I was fantasy like my fa- my favorite books are Bambi uh, a life in the woods by Felix Salton Mm-hmm. Completely because I am the Disney movie is my favorite movie of all time. Period. End of story. Ooh. And uh, Watership Down is something I read over and over again. Huh. Really, uh, especially after the movie came out, because uh, I knew the movie first. Went to read the book, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I, I was full disclosure, and this, I'll do, I'll go into more if we ever cover it. I actually started and was a member of Online Warrens. Where I oh. had OC rabbit characters. <laughs> nice. Yeah. OG sparkle dogs. Yeah, baby. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I, pref- I prefer a lot of fantasy, although I'll read just about anything. Uh, I, I, the only thing I never really got into was Crichton, because I tried to read Jurassic Park because I love the movie. And, I'm like, and it's like trying to read some uh, buddy's dissertation for their master's or their doctorate. I'm like... This seems way too technical to be prose. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like I should be watching a slideshow where he's showing me weird uh, graphs that correlate to the thing that I have no understanding what's going on. Uh, but uh, so it reads more like a tech- technical manual. 
<laughs> but then that's Crichton. He was always like that. Right. Yes. Um, who wants to go next? I'll go. Uh, I'll do it. Our... Melody does it. Melody is okay. doing it. Yeah, this Melody is your book. Go in. ahead. <laughs> All right. So uh, John rolled a lovely d6 to determine what order we would be picking <laughs> books. And me, the person who's never podcasted, ended up with book number one. So I picked A Wizard of Earthsea, which is what we're going to be reading. Um, however, before we go into that, um, just kind of my reading history, um, I used to be... I wouldn't say I was a super avid reader, but I loved high fantasy. I was, like, you know when the Lord of the Rings movies came out when we were all around, like, middle school age? Um, I hopped oh, yeah, on I that wagon right real school. hard, mm-hmm. real hard. I was a big Lord of the Rings thing. Thing. I was a thing. <laughs> Lord of the Rings fan. Of As the one thing. is. Um, like, I was going on the internet, role-playing, making original characters. So they weren't rabbits, but they were, like, half-elf sisters of important people. Uh, <laughs> As is every kind of thing. OC, essentially. Yeah. So I've always been really interested in, like, really interacting with my fiction that I'd read. And then Harry Potter happened. Oh, yeah. Um... And pretty much, I think, like, I just read a lot of just Harry Potter and then required reading in high school. Um, okay. College happened, and college killed my entire desire to read for pleasure, which I kind of <laughs> yeah. was mourning. Yeah. I was yeah. mourning the loss Yeah, it really does. Because a lot of the content I read in college, I really enjoyed, and I loved learning. I loved the perspectives that were presented to me. I just, I just got so burnt out, man. Mm-hmm. So burnt out. So, um, I honestly, I think I did one Harry Potter read-through, and if I'm completely honest, I haven't read anything except manga. I was real into manga. That's pretty much my reading. Oh, Um, no. Not manga. I pretty much just read manga. Manga is okay. It's just, it's reading material. Yes. But it's, it's, we're not expecting in-depth storytelling. What's the thing, uh... This is not book related, but I saw, uh, but I, but I, there was an article going around where James Cannon hopes there's there's Avengers fatigue because he's wants new stories, which is funny because he stole the Terminator from Harlan Ellison and the Avatar was completely ripped from the Last of the Mohicans and Pocahontas. Uh, hold so, hold up, sorry, my yes. dogs are going. I'm sorry. Yeah, but the idea that like comic books can't be considered good storytelling just because it's I don't know, pulpier or like less mature. That's why I want to do like a graphic novel cycle at some point. Or, sure, or we cover that'd be awesome. something like we cover like manga or other graphic novels or like a collected edition of comic books because like there's good stories just because there, there, are. Are. there are there are there are. But like from I feel like from most manga, it is sort of the long run kind of storytelling which you can't always get in in literature. Yeah. Right. What I what I got out of manga is that you get the awesome story, you get the awesome world building that I really love mm-hmm. about uh, the. There's a lot I of great characters with. in manga. Yeah, but I, you know, it wasn't reading, which was, I was was not wanting to do. So when I saw that John was doing um, the podcast, I'm like, hey, I am a podcast junkie now because reading is hard, but I like to engage my brain. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, reading isn't hard. I, I can read. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I 
I was like, hey, let's hop on and do this. And now I just keep wanting to read all the books in succession off of our reading list. But I'm like, I can't yes. do that because I won't remember what happens in the book. But I'm really into <laughs> reading now. And I was very excited to take part. That's all right. <laughs> cool. Who wants to go next? Um, and you and you yelled at me about waving at the microphone. <laughs> For those out of the loop, I just did the nose goes thing. Uh, okay. No one else can see. <laughs> I already bent, so I don't have to do it. <laughs> okay. I guess I'll go. Um, yeah, I was I was kind of the same way where reading was just the most the most fun I could have without being social because I was really, really bad at being social. Social um, sums. Yeah. <laughs> People um, I think my favorite book coming out of middle school was Freak the Mighty by Rodman Philbrick, and I think that's on our list somewhere. If um, not, it needs to be because I've heard nothing but good things about it. It's that an book. amazing story. I think you'll really like it. Um, but yeah, same story. College sort of like sucked all my time and uh, desire to read for for fun. Um, just because I was in a couple literature classes, but it was like, I don't want to read this because then I'll have to write a paper about it. Mm-hmm. But I, but this is, I think, a podcast is much easier because it's sort of off the top of your head thinking and you don't have to go back and edit it to a certain page length. <laughs> God, page lights suck. And, and the only thing, we don't have to worry about grades and GPAs here. We just have to worry about audience retention. We all get A for effort. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Even if we don't retain an audience, this shit's fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I was talking about college. It reminded me, because like, we had some decent books recommended in, in, as part of the college reading courses. Like, Night by Ely Weasel, oh, which is, uh, which oh, is God, one yes. of the best books, cons- you know, uh, across the objectively speaking, and yet I never read it because the class I took it for was ta- taught by an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to revisit that at some point because now I want to read it without that asshole determining whether or not I pass his stupid fucking class <laughs> that was required <laughs> by Mount. Uh, it, was, it was the religion course. Oh. It was required religion course. Ah. Uh. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> um. Dex and Diane are left. Or Max, are you done with your... Oh, Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Keep going. Okay. I like books. Books. <laughs> I, like, I like books. Lit is lit. Books, books are good. <laughs> I'm making it oh, a thing. Yep. We're, we we're going to make well... it a thing. But we are not going to make this a thing. This is oh. not a thing. <laughs> it's already a Stop thing. Stop trying just, to make lit is lit happen. It already did. Don't cut it out. Just embrace the thing. I'm not. I'm not editing. No, this is all staying in. The dogs yeah. are going to stay in because I, I. I'm not. Our I'm poor, not touching this. This is going to plug and play. As far as I'm concerned. Oh, okay. Our poor listeners. All right. So um, <laughs> all right. I'll go next. Might as well since we seem to be keeping with uh, kind of the order. order. Um, Dexter, just in case. Anybody lost track of voices? God knows hey. I have. Um, yeah, I uh, really started getting into reading actually um, in like fourth grade because I lived with my grandmother for that school year because it was my second year in my new school after my parents had split. Um, 
and I was just struggling with the transition from uh, from my old school to the new school and everything. And she had like all these books, like those silly little animal books, like the Owl in the Office and those things. And I would just read them all because she didn't really have TV much and it was better than having to write. Um, <laughs> I'm not much of a writer. Um, then I, uh, lost your train of thought. Yes. <laughs> that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Either it barrels on unchecked or it completely derails. There's not a lot of in between. Um, the first book, and it's actually my first pick, so I won't really get into it, that I remember really having a big effect on me was Julie of the Wolves. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh yeah, wholly emotional. (laughs) Um, And I was in fourth grade when I read that. I remember, anyways. um, I remember, like, getting towards the end, no spoilers yet, um, and just bawling my eyes out. So, after that, I was like, oh, hey, books give me emotions that aren't about my parents splitting. Wow, I got dark. <laughs> it's dark. Dun, dun. That's okay. I, I the stacks where is... Dexes are edgelord. Yeah, no, no, I totally get that, though. Like, literature relates to the deepest parts of ourselves that we don't really normally share with other people. I think that's a wonderful thing for literature to do. Oh, yeah. Which is why my favorite books are about animals and not people. Oh yeah, <laughs> it says every, that says everything but, about you need to know about me. Yeah, I'm straight up. If it's not fantasy or at least science fiction, you will have a hard time getting it to getting me to read it on my own. Because mm-hmm. I think I always used reading as an escape from real life because real life kind of sucks. <laughs> Yeah, normally it does. (laughs) So, you know, things like Harry Potter I got into in, like, I think I read the first Harry Potter book in uh, fourth grade. Or maybe fifth. Cool. And then from there, uh, getting into, like, his dark materials in sixth grade. And I remember it was sixth grade because one of my pseudo friends, like, we hung out, but he didn't like me, but we hung out anyways, um, was uh, picking on me for reading a book that had talking animals. Screw it, Golden Compass is still one of my favorite books. That's a good ever. book. Isn't Terrible it, movie. Movie sucks. <laughs> movie sucks. <laughs> I made the mistake of waiting until waiting to see the movie until after reading the book, and I adored the book so much, and then I watched the movie and I'm like, Oh, what stuff is oh, What sucks is that there's pretty good casting, but yeah. the writing sucks balls. Because just like Aragon, which we might oh, discuss God. at some point, they just wanted a Harry Potter clone. Yeah. It's like, hey, let's rewrite Harry Potter, but with these characters that people actually like. Right, kids, mm-hmm. let's hold in this rage for the adaptations episode. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, God. Go. We're yeah. going to have to do an adaptation cycle. <laughs> We're doing um, bad adaptations. Yep. Yay. Um, so yeah, uh, anything else? Oh, I could go on forever, but I won't. <laughs> uh, any other favorites besides uh, Julia the Wolves and uh, Com- Golden Compass? 
Um, Harry Potter, yeah. obviously. I think Aragon, I love the Aragon series. Um, I always kind of read... I don't dislike Twilight. I kind of... I kind of hold it as my mindless reading material. <laughs> I feel you. I will stick up for you in that regard. I binged that stuff when it came out in four days. Four books, four days. I did it. Wow. It was... Because uh, it's it was, not what you would call <laughs> okay, here's the difficult thing. reading. Yeah, no. Not difficult. Not great writing. But I was... No. I liked the story. Oh, I don't know. I read, it read like fan fiction. That's what I was reading a lot of at the time. Yeah. So it was fun. <laughs> okay. I enjoyed That's it. exactly what it is. It did occur to me that we could do an entire cycle on Stephanie Meyer's books because she has the four <laughs> Twilight books and the host. I will leave. And the host was good. <laughs> I, I saw the movie... I, that's one of those ones, not to go into adaptations again, but I liked the movie. It's not great, but I liked that they were trying something interesting with the idea of um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. And I like Saoirse Ronan. Still do. She's one of my favorite actresses working. And I know you dis... I, not, maybe not despise, but really disliked the movie. I didn't... It was not a very good... As a movie itself, it was alright, but as an adaptation, it sucked. Which I think is going to be like the go-to response for everything we cover in an adaptation cycle. <laughs> Except for Aragon. That straight up sucked. Oh, yeah. Straight up <laughs> fantasy. It's Lord of the Rings Star Wars. Only it's yes. not good. Oh, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, hi, Popper. Hey, no. Come I, I have the, uh... five dogs. Popper is saying... Wow. And, and, they, and somebody is coming home. So, so that just means... Hi, I'm here. Tell them to go away. You're recording. Uh, <laughs> That's what I did with my children. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think, I think we have Julie of the Wolves over there. <laughs> yep. Max of the Wolves. Uh, <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I took up enough time. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no. You're okay. All right. I think we're going to have to mute Max's track for, a, for, a, for the next, yeah. like, five minutes. Sorry. Sorry. Oh. Okay. People have dogs. This is realistic. There you go. <laughs> I think they're good. Okay. Uh, and then lastly, Diana. Uh, hi. Yeah, I'm Diana. Uh, yeah, I love books. Books were my friends growing up. I went to school with an extremely vicious group of girls. Uh, and I was the uh, fat girl who cried easily. So oh, books were my friends. I can so relate. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, school and college made me not enjoy books. But then I started working at Borders Bookstore. Ooh. And, do those still uh, exist? To they give the audience an idea of how long ago this was. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, this, now, like, now this makes me feel old. <laughs> I, heard, I, heard a, I heard a sad story that apparently Barnes & Noble is going to be the next one to go. And then no. that'll be gone. Oh, no. Good, it's a I garbage company. Because I hope they do the Books A Million thing where it's like, we're not just books, we're like literally everything. Right, we're they started stuff. selling vinyl a couple of years ago. Books like, A Million you know, originally was like Bibles A Million. Seriously. <laughs> it was, actually. Um, you know, once Barnes & Noble took the chairs out of the store, it was downhill for there. Aww. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, anyway. <laughs> I used to be, like, very strongly just fiction and chiclet reader until I started working at the bookstore. And I had 
since I was touching books all the damn day, I would see things that were interesting and I started doing a lot more nonfiction, uh, business books, just a little bit of everything just because that's helpful in that job, but it was fun. And since, and then I graduated from college, so I had more time. And uh, then I started knitting a lot and podcasts became a thing and I stopped reading so much. I knit and podcast as well. So yeah. literally yeah. the best thing you can do while knitting. It's I do not knit, but I, but, I, but I did get into podcasting thanks to, um, oddly, enough, the not, not, oddly enough, not the McElroys. I, got, I discovered <laughs> the McElroys through podcasts because I follow Brental Floss. Ah, Brental Floss got me okay. into the McElroys because he did a show with Travis. But okay. I got into podcasting through a site called Spill.com. That used mm. to exist and did movie reviews and they would do podcasts and that's okay. when i discovered podcasting this would have been like just about the end of high school 07 08. my wife oh, and i would doctor. listen to uh to like the christopher titus podcast and henry rollins and stuff when we were driving like 35 minutes to work all mm-hmm. last year so I didn't either check out Henry Rowe. I love the guy. I love his one-man show. Yeah, he is. Yeah, dude is. And that's the thing. He's not. He think of him now as like a, 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 you know, like a a one-man show kind of almost comic. The dude's like I think either guitarist or drummer, maybe Uh, lead singer for for uh, Black Flag. He was a metal singer who suddenly got into one-man shows and doing like long-form comedy like. um, spoken word, spoken word stuff, and it's like came out of nowhere, but it's a mate. But he's like the best thing ever. And my wife has actually met him, and I guess he's like super duper nice. Because if you ever listen to his stuff, he's like whenever he meets one of his uh, idols, he's like all like he fanboys out basically. <laughs> and the couple times my wife has met him, she kind of fangirled out. And you know, some celebrities are all like looking all disdainful and shit like that and he completely like was I lost my train of thought yeah, <laughs> yeah but he's 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 good people yeah yes. it was barreling yes. and then it derailed see yeah. there's the in between <laughs> you saw it you heard it happen live folks <laughs> uh, what about uh, what are your, some of your favorite uh, stuff uh, as of now that uh, I- I really do love Jonathan Troper. Um, his one of his early books is called Plan B. I found that at a half price books and just fell in love with it. Um, his most famous one right now is uh, 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 This Is Where You Leave Me, which was adapted into a movie, which is actually a pretty good adaptation. Um, and uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, I've been watching. I've been reading a lot of books that are being turned into movies because I host a movie podcast, so it's kind of two birds, one uh-huh. Yeah, High five. Yeah. Okay, I know this movie. It, I didn't start reviewing stuff until after it came out. Apparently yeah. he also wrote the screenplay for it. Nice. Yeah, he did a, he did a decent job. Um, I like his dialogue, and he's also done some... Uh, he wrote for and created the show Banshee. That one I'm not familiar with. I think it's, uh, I want to say it's on sci-fi, but I can't Cinemax. remember. Yeah, I never watched it, but I knew he did it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, Cinemax is one of those things where you're like, wait, I, I subscribe to this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh. It's like uh, thrown in with part of the cable package. Pretty much. 
Uh, and if I'm not... Apparently uh, also wrote on that short-lived vinyl series, too. Uh, that show was garbage. Anyway. <laughs> it's like anyway. garbage I need to, I need no to insert... Books. I forgot to say a favorite book that wasn't Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, because... Which seems to be like I want to the... seem like I actually have read something other than those two <laughs> things. Like, <laughs> arguably the most popular books of all time. Um, Pretty much. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, my other favorite favorite book is Consider Phoebus by Ian M. Banks. Mm. I like sci-fi too, so sci-fi fantasy is my jam. That, that seems to be the consensus of the <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Uh, that particular book I really liked because it was the first book that when I read it, I could picture every single thing happening in my brain so mm. vividly that it was like, I'm like, how is this not a movie? How is this? Which it's ah. going to be a series on uh, Amazon Prime, I think. I think I heard. Oh, cool. So if anyone's read that, I mean, I'll probably pick it eventually because I want to reread it. But <laughs> I like that too. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> cool. So yeah, this this is us. Hooray! Yes. A bunch yes. of nerds. A bunch of <laughs> sci-fi fantasy nerds Manga who lost reading. interest in books nerds. because college killed it. Yeah. College yeah. kills your love of reading. College Nerd kills your will to live. <laughs> yeah. And then the job hunt kills your will to live. Yep. Life kills your will to live. <laughs> yep. A truer okay. statement has never been said. On that on that note from our resident edgelord, Dexter, <laughs> oh uh, how about you introduce the... How uh, did I get there? <laughs> just uh, we'll have, we'll just probably, let it happen. We'll, we're gonna we're gonna just allow. Uh, depending on when we record and how we're feeling, somebody will have to take the place of Ed Lord each episode. Okay. Oh, okay. five bucks said that's gonna says that's gonna be me nine times out of ten. Oh. <laughs> um, how about what we read this time around for our first outing? Yeah. Okay, so um, I chose a Wizard of Earthsea. It is something that I've been wanting to read for quite a while, and it was solidified that I wanted to read it. Unfortunately, at the passing of its author, Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, is that how you say your wait, last name? That, 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 that sounds that, right. That's how I would say it. But, okay, um, Guin or... passed already? Yeah. Yes, in January. Oh, I think that's oh why it was so yes. hard to find the book in the library. That's probably why. Oh, yeah, that makes I sense. Only know, I'm only familiar with this through the one adaptation that's like somewhat of an adaptation of the Tales from Earthsea oh, yes. that uh, Ghibli did. <laughs> That is in, in the, the history I have there. But yeah, she passed away in, in January, and I was listening to... Uh, I didn't really know much about the book other than um, what I had heard of what I had seen in the Ghibli adaptation, uh, the Goro Miyazaki interesting animation piece, um, which I didn't like, so I wasn't sure if I actually wanted to read it. Um, however, in all of the NPR tributes, they were beautiful tributes, um, they really went into a lot of like what Earthsea was, um, a lot of the themes she worked with in there. Um, so most of her writing was all like, um, it's fantasy and science fiction things. So she was able to explore a lot. And before I get too far into discussing her, I just want to know how many of you had read this book previously? Anybody? Not it. No, no. Oh, cool. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite things, because this is kind of how I reflect before I read something, is that I always, uh, like if I'm critically reading something, 
um, I kind of explore my preconceptions before I read it. So just based on like the title and maybe the cover artwork when you're holding it in your hand and maybe some things about what you've heard or seen in adaptations in the past, what were you expecting from this book? I, based on the Ghibli movie existing and the whole thing with dragons and even looking at the book cover where there's a prominent, the most prominent thing that sticks out of, I forget which edition mine is. Mine is... That uh, looks pretty old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine is probably like 70s, maybe 80s. Yeah, I think yours hold is on, the that. OG cover. Yeah, hold on, I've got it on Goodreads. Mine yeah. is ugly. Mine's purple with a big bird on it. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> you call that ugly? I like the big bird. I don't know. I just don't think it captures the essence of the entire book. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean... <laughs> that's just me. The, 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 the character's nickname is Sparrowhawk. Yeah, I know, but I didn't know that before I read it, so I'm just like, oh, cool, it's Animorphs. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> There's another I series we'll have to try and cover I picked it up, point. and I'm like, oh, no, what did I pick? <laughs> um, I like Birds the, of Prey, so I was like, ooh, pretty. Let me see uh, which edition this says it is. Um, oh, that was this is 04, so it's actually really pretty recent. I think, the, the... I think the art on there is the same art as... I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the original, but... Yeah, but mine, uh, for those who... Um, yeah, the, the Hawk one is 2012. Uh, mine was... look. That looks like the old... Must be the old cover artwork, because it's like... Her name her name at the top in with like a black background. A white... Uh, sort of like off-white... beige color on the bottom. And then a picture of a dragon... Or a dragon statue next to uh, a castle uh, on an island, on a small island, and so yeah, I I pictured um yeah I knew based on the, based on the cover and based on uh, the adaptation of the later um a late on the Ghibli, the, the Ghibli did of the one of the later books that it was going to be somewhat fantasy related and plus um wizards yeah yeah um. <laughs> I mean, I had the, 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 the e-book that had the hawk on the front, so I was like, hey, there's there's going to be birds involved. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be magical. There's magical birds. <laughs> That's like as Hitchcock, as Hitchcock gone wild. Those right, right. <laughs> um, well, I did, I did get a physical copy from my local library, and it was in the junior high section, so that immediately sprang to mind of, oh, it's a young adult novel. That means... Low Which... standard of of n- low quality of writing, and boy was I wrong. Boy was I well, wrong. Well, I think that's the thing. Young adult, because of its lower, because that's the thing with Harry Potter too, is that it's because it's got a lower entry. Mm-hmm. Not everything that has a lower entry is considered bad, because I feel like that's I feel like that's got a stigma attached to it. That because it's not high literature. It's not something that requires a master's degree in yeah. English lit to understand. <laughs> that uh, the, 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 the problem with a lot of things meant for adults is that you get trapped up, you get like caught up in the romance aspect. Like there are always has to be a love interest, and then you're like, what? Why? Yeah, with young, yeah, young adults seem to have this weird fascination of like, well, because girls like the idea of a romance, especially if there's two guys chasing after the one girl, and it's like not all of the. Time, dude. Have you talked to a young adult lately? 
And not, I never talked to young adult girls. Like, yeah. not, I like a little not, bit. Not... I like a little bit of romance. <laughs> I don't mind. There's a difference between a little bit of romance and it becoming when, the yes. center point of the of the entire yes. genre, right? Especially entire... when it, the romance are... should never come at the expense of a character's agency. Yes. yes. Or a story. Yes. Especially when there's women characters involved, and you know they're just yes. whatever. Although in this one, I kind of like felt like there was a teeny tiny like hint of romance between two characters near the which end. Which we can save mm-hmm. uh, we'll for the save. discussion. Yeah. But yeah, yes. um, so yeah, this is anybody else? Uh, Max, uh, Diana, your thoughts for going into this? Yeah, I, I was just saying it was in the young adult section. Um, I kind of gathered that it was the first part in a long series and that it was fantasy and I'm like oh okay I like fantasy let's let's just dive into it cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah basically um, I know I know me I when I hear a wizard of earthsea I picture fucking wizard fireworks alright <laughs> I want D&D level you know yeah. Wizard I just battles. got into D and D. I, I get these people references. People standing on on cliffs, tempest. I'm seeing waves rolling, crashing. I'm seeing dragons flying around, blowing fire at people. I'm picturing like a bunch of Gandalfs running around. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I had high expectations, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't. I think I kind of knew it wasn't going to be that because even like the Ghibli adaptation, even though it's not what it is at all, um, that's not what that was either. Um, but I kind of, I had had that. And I was also surprised, I agree with Max, I was surprised that it was a young adult novel, because, you know, I had heard of it through NPR, and typically they don't mention stuff that isn't worth mentioning, right. you know, right. that's for children. Um, yeah. So I couldn't find the book in the fiction section. I'm like, where the, where the hell is this book? Where is it? And then I look in on the catalog, and I'm like, oh. It's in the young adult. So then I started, like, questioning my pick. I was like, oh, no, mm-hmm. this might not be good. Well, at the very least, it would make for a funny episode. They did. They, they so... did. I went, I, I went to a nearby uh, Barberton, Ohio, which is uh, the next town to the west of Akron. A sm- bit smaller, more rural. We call it Barber Tucky for a reason. <laughs> they have good but, um, chicken, though. They have a pretty decent, they have a really nice library that's been there since the turn of the 19, the, the 18, the, not, it's 1902, so it was there since <laughs> okay. the turn of the 20th okay. century. That, that century. That century. And, um, and I went, and so I went there to get the book, and I got a physical copy, but yeah, like, all of the local libraries around, uh, us um and we just lost diana oh her power went out power went out uh uh we we, we'll have to do the rest of the episode without her um i'll put in a little like uh editor's note saying during the recording of this episode our our co-host diana lost power to lost the power to her house and was unable to finish i think she's Uh, lying and and just wanted to go knit (laughs) (laughs) um i'll 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 have her maybe i'll have her like record her thoughts and whatnot and then we'll sprinkle sprinkle them i'll sprinkle them throughout the episode um 
But, uh, yeah, like, this might, for me, it wasn't Young Adult. It wasn't the Young Adult section. The Barberton Library has specifically sci-fi and fantasy. Mm-hmm. So all the sci-fi fantasy genre books are cool. in one section. Yeah, the, my library had that as well, but it wasn't there. They had right. a lot of yeah. her other stuff in there, but not Earthsea. They had it specifically separated it out. So I had to go on a journey. I went to three different yeah. sections. We went on an adventure. Yes. We're going on an adventure. Oh, cool. I'm so, going on an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought wizards. We thought magical burbs. And we thought pretty much those things. All right. <laughs> um, and then I'm guessing we haven't heard too much about the author. No. I can educate no. us a bit. Okay. So she is an American novelist. Um, she worked mostly in fantasy and science fiction, but also did she dabbled in short stories, poetry, and essays, as any writer is wants to do. Um, she was having difficulty publishing her works, so she turned to science fiction and fantasy when it um, became difficult to get those works published, and then she um, got had a lot of success doing that. Um, Earthsea specifically, it actually started as a short story called The World of Unbinding, which now I'm going to have to go find because apparently that's the start and I didn't know it. Um, and then it evolved into a trilogy, which included... Uh, A Wizard of Earthsea is the first, and then there was three more books later. Um, She was influenced a lot by Tolkien, as are most high fantasy people, but unlike a lot of people, um, I think rather than imitating his world and, like, his idea of high fantasy, she just kind of looked at it as an opportunity to be like, hey... Fantasy is, like, a really good opportunity to explore stuff. So, hey, let's let's go wild. Um, her parents were anthropologists, which I found actually kind of explained a lot. I didn't look all this up before I read the book. I probably should have. But um, after reading it, I kind of got a little bit of that flavor. So uh, her parents were very successful anthropologists. They wrote, um, her mom wrote a book about the last wild Native American or something, whose name was Ishii. So they're famous Ooh. for that. Um, let's see. A lot of her themes deal with race and gender. Um, I don't know if people picked up on that throughout the book, but it's definitely bit, yeah. very, very, those are very deliberately presented things in her book. So any mention, she wants to very much draw attention to that. I do um, like that it is a diverse... Oh yes. Um, section uh, mm-hmm. like because that's the that's a big criticism of high fantasy, especially in in a the visual medium. That oh, it's all European, so it's all a bunch of white folk. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there there is specific mention made that this is this was the shade of his skin, this was his hair, blah blah blah. blah. Exactly. So we got which is so refreshing. Yes, it really was refreshing. So yeah, I, I have to check out the. TV series they did because that was the other thing I saw at um, at Barberton. They had uh, they had DVD copies of a show called Earthsea, and I'm a, I would assume it it's was... all white people. Hmm. Weird on the sci-fi. <laughs> I actually have that in my uh, my little bio here. Yeah, it's a mini series. And oh, off. thankfully they do put a black eye on the cover. Danny Glover, <laughs> Danny Glover's in it. Interesting. So at least there's one black guy, even though he's not the lead. <laughs> 
So yeah, so um, through our discussion, we'll kind of be talking a little bit about the depictions of race, because that is very important in her thing. Most of her books all have um, people of color as uh, protagonists and main characters. Oh, um, well, what's interesting see. is in the beginning, um, they, they made, like, with the, 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 the invading force, mm-hmm. uh, it was very specific, like, they were, I kind of envisioned them as Vikings, you know, yellow hair and pale skin and all that, unless I'm completely off base. Nope, yeah, that, that I, have right. a, yeah I have a note for that. I have a little, little, little quote of the description, I believe. Um... Let's Looking see, what else? She um, also focuses a lot on environmentalism and the negative mm-hmm. effects of the current political system, the American political system, on the natural world. Which was, she this is, was 68, so this would have been yes. right at the height <laughs> of the American environmentalist movement. She is been definitely... The time of like, like, she's born in, uh, I think, 1929, um, but you can tell a lot of her formative um, ideas about the world really come about, like, you know, through the 60s and um, that kind of, those ideas. Um, she's a Taoist, which I thought was really interesting. Um, it's very difficult to be succinct with discussing I, I, I kind of got that impression just from, yeah. Yeah, just from, yeah, some of the stuff in the books. When I read it after that she was a Taoist, I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, Taoism has to do with, like, going with the flow of life. There's a lot of balance yeah. components, finding oh, harmony yeah. with yep. nature, and developing yourself, um, body, it, mind, given, and spirit. We'll talk about it during the ending, but that's, that's very... It almost calls reference to a very Taoist symbol as well, but we'll talk about that during the discussion. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense now in retrospect. And she also, politically, she um, espoused anarchist political beliefs, um, she, which is very exciting, yeah. So um, she is more uh, pacifist anarchism, so not oh, yeah. like, you know, fuck yeah, she's everything. Not like, she's um, not a nihilist. Yeah, she's, mm. not, yeah, she's not a nihilist. <laughs> So I thought that was also interesting because in this book, what what always bogs me down a bit with like especially Lord of the Rings and a lot of high fantasy is like the political shit, like yeah, Game of Thrones <laughs> especially with that. Oh yeah, it's it's awful. So I kind of liked that there didn't really seem to be a governing is, force in this well, this particular yeah, book. I, there might be in yeah, the other ones. Yeah, we 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 can talk about how Earthsea is set up in the discussion too. But yeah. Um, yeah, is there anything else? Uh, yeah, there's Major? there's a couple adaptations which we both mentioned. She didn't like either of them. So yep. uh, she hated the 2004 one and the Goro Miyazaki film. She thought it was beautiful and she thought the depictions of the universe were, were well depicted. Um, but she just, she's like, these aren't my characters. This is like yep. their own version of my characters. Um, both that's both how that's Wikipedia. mostly how how Miyazaki does adaptations, though. I know Howl's Moving Castle is completely different from the book, mm-hmm. and um, the people but, aren't brown; they're just vaguely tan. <laughs> <They're> like... <laughs> I do have a couple of fun quotes from uh, the Wikipedia for the miniseries. Uh, Le Guin has written a number of responses to the handling of the of the adaptation. Uh, a whitewashed Earthsea mm-hmm. and Frankenstein's mm. Earthsea. <laughs> um, when I sold the rights to Earthsea a few years ago, my contract gave me the standard status of consultant, which means whatever the producers want it to mean, and almost always little or nothing. Yeah. 
She's been salty so, about that. Well, when, um, I think everybody yeah. would be <laughs> looking at how sci-fi handles anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, like this the... is a sci-fi channel, <laughs> or, or rather a uh, Sifi, as they yes. like to call themselves. Sifi. So they because uh, they couldn't trademark the term sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Um, anyway. The, the, yeah. The, the book won lots of awards. It had really good reception. However, um, it kept getting categorized as a kids' book, which she definitely wasn't writing for kids. There's like themes of like dealing with mortality and shit in this book. Um, oh, yeah. so, the major force in this, the major villain of this book is literally like an embodiment of death itself. Yes. So, uh, unfortunately, because it kept, she was a woman and it kept getting criticized, or she kept being put in a children's uh, story category, it wasn't as critically reviewed as it probably should have been. However, Margaret Atwood, who I love, um, she called it a wellspring of fantasy literature. Um, so she's kind of marked that this book is going to have a ripple in all of the fantasy genre, which it did, because this book had a wizard school. And guess what else other book had a wizard school? Yeah, I was going to say, when we got to the, when we got to the part about the wizard school, I'm like, mm-hmm. huh. Yeah, so there's, yeah, she funny had the, that. the OG wizard school, it had a <laughs> scarred boy, and the boy's yeah. scar hurts when evil is near him. He's and, the boy who lived, yes, technically. Le, Le Guin actually had been asked about that, and she was pretty salty. That Rowling never really uh, credited her. Like, she wasn't she wasn't mad at Rowling, more at people who thought that Rowling's ideas were original and thought that Rowling could have done a little better job crediting, like, you know, like her how, legacy. Like uh, how Cameron, Cameron cited Harlan Ellison as inspiration, because mm-hmm. he yeah. pretty much took the concept pole cloth. Yes. And then um, spirited away the whole idea with names having power. She was pretty sure that Miyazaki got that. Well, not she, but it is believed that uh, spirited away got that idea where names are really important from this book. Oh yeah, well, Aragon has that same. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That same theme where like everyone has a true name and you never tell. Although not everybody knows their true name. Yeah, and then it's like the old language is the source of that power for. Um, Aragon's universe, it was Elvish, and then here it was um, its own sort of like ancient one speak a language, like the language that the dragons knew and spoke in and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can't lie in it and all that jazz. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, like, yeah, the ripples. In retrospect, looking at looking at it through the, because I guess because I'm guessing Paulini, if he read if he was big into fantasy before writing the series, probably read this at some point. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's pretty yeah, much exactly. all we have about her in the book. Um, and then we're kind of ready to dive yeah. in. Let's so, dive uh, in. Yeah, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back for some uh, discussion on a withered of Earth Sea. A withered of Earth Sea. Lit With, is lit. I, I, I don't <laughs> know where that list came from. <laughs> You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films? Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, A Good Ghoul's Guide to Horror. Oh! On the Gummy Cat Don't read the Latin. 
Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying So, we are ready to start our discussion of A Wizard of Ursi by Ursula K. Le Guin. And now, what you've all been waiting for. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, every, every week, we kind of discussed, um, every week the discussion might go a little bit differently. Well, every um, episode. Yeah, every, yeah, every episode, sorry. Bi-weekly. <laughs> um, every episode will uh, just be a little bit different, so what I choose for my discussion format might not be what someone else chooses someone else chooses and it might not be what i do next time so calvin ball Let's calvin go. ball ah, ah, <laughs> love the reference yes um so ch- i'm gonna start i'm gonna do it this this time by going um chapter by chapter and the things okay. I, I i'm just kind of going through questions i had and i thought of while i was reading so the questions might not relate specifically to the chapter most of them do um but that's kind of how i'm going with it so, um, as we, we open the book, we get this lovely... Uh, mine's at the beginning of the book. I'm assuming yours is also in the beginning of the book. But we have a map. We have a map of Earth. It's, it's very maps. handy. The, oh, you have multiple handy. maps? I only have one. <gasps> my book only has one map. I have the main map at the beginning, but in my 04 edition, it also has one right in the middle of the first chapter where it uh, showcases... Um, Gaunt and that part of the Cargit and then the Cargit lands and that section and then later on down the line like it like the, whoever was the editor for this had the notion of like maybe we should include some maps so people have some, have some good references. Yeah, yeah that's so... that, that's the thing is that it's a very um, there's a lot uh-huh. to remember. There's yes. a lot of names. That's so that's the one thing I'll say. Um, my biggest. My first note when I was reading through this is the perils of fantasy world building. <laughs> and I think, you know, as much as she wants to kind of differentiate herself from Tolkien, which thematically she does, she still suffers the biggest hurdle of high fantasy, which is yeah. all of the names. And that, that was something I was going to kind of delve into is that the archetype for high fantasy had been, okay, you have a lot of names, you have a lore, you have a big map, you got lots of places, and you refer to those places just to like make it seem authentic. Do you think that she did this only because, as was expected? Like, do you think that this is necessary for the story that uh, she's telling? That this I don't map think it's needs necessary to be there? for this right. book because it kind of inundates the reader with a bunch of unnecessary names, like. A, a, a name could be brought up uh, three chapters down the road, and I'm like, that looks vaguely familiar. Did I read it? And then I'd have to try to thumb, th- thumb back through. And when you're doing that with a ebook, it's <laughs> yeah. not so easy to thumb back through. And I'm like, oh, okay, so this was that island, and it's just when you're establishing your story, you kind of don't want to cast that many nets out. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, the world building. Depending on how deep you want to go, because that's the that's kind of the reason why Silmarillion isn't as well remembered as um, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, uh, because Lord of the Rings suffered a bit from this because Tolkien was a um, scholar. He was a, he was that kind of writer for the most part, so he wrote uh, the same way about Middle Earth 
that he would use, that he as a professor would write about uh, Beowulf and um, you know Norse fantasy and Norse mythology and like he his whole concept of Middle Earth was British uh, mythology. It was him creating a British mythology that never existed because we borrowed they borrowed it from the French, and unfortunately because he kind of set the precedent, a lot of people in fan in high fantasy feel like they need need to. Uh, kind of mirror that uh, a perfect example I came across uh, is in ch- actually in chapter 8 I pointed this out to um, to Dex uh, when he came over where is it? here we go on the quays and in the house of the sea guild he asked of ships that might be going out north or west to Enlad, Andrath, or Enea I have no idea mm-hmm. what any of that means <laughs> and unless I look unless I keep referring back to the map that means nothing to me. So how how do we all personally interact with maps? Because me personally, when there is a map provided in a book and they are mentioning place names and they are discussing routes, I need to check every single time. I need to map that thing. I need to analyze how many days it took them to get there to figure out how far these places are away for scale. Is anyone else like that? Am I just crazy? Um, I feel like <laughs> a map that's inside the book in that regard... Uh, it can be more distracting than it is helpful because you're like where is that i gotta go check oh where is this other place are we gonna get there and i don't think that's crazy i think that i think most especially if you're of of the nerdy persuasion (laughs) let's say you if you're delving deep into the lore of something and they have that available to you and you have the um and you have that sort of mindset of like well, I got to know this thing. How do I, and you having that reference in your head could definitely be helpful, which is why I'm glad they included the uh, maps in most of the editions of the book. But also, I feel like ideally, with it being her first time out, although this wasn't the first book she published in Earthsea, because there was another one, right? Uh, wasn't there another one? Oh, there was, it was a short story. Oh, it was just so a short I, she story, probably okay. didn't have all all the map and stuff. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, but I think, unfortunately, Tolkien, being the scholar and being that sort of, uh, being an Oxfordian uh, as he was, uh, kind of set the precedent that high for fantasy because then everyone thought, well, if I want to be like this guy and he's great at it, I want to be like him. And so they think, I need to create, whereas I feel like... That's true to an extent. You go to more I modern... feel like when I, when I look at the Earthsea map, I'm like, this is a lot of islands, a lot of lines... Whereas when you when you it look at wiggly. like a map of Middle Earth, everything's <laughs> pretty straightforward. There's some terrain, there's place names, but it's not like laden with black lines. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. that yeah. just the, the, the depends on how detailed the map is too. The, back. I don't know. the the map did feel when I just when I just look at it, it's lots of weird wiggly lines. Um, look kind of arbitrarily wiggled about. It feels like just like. I mean, not that a kid did it, but it just seems like a little poorly planned. It feels like a, it definitely feels. <laughs> yeah. I I see um I forget what they're called, but I know they're from ancient uh, maps. Cartographers would put in the the weird deities that you blow have the deities wind. on your map. Mine has uh in Jesus. the O4 edition, it does have the not the deity, but like the you know the the giant face that blows the wind in all those mm-hmm. old maps. Wait, your map. It has that, cool. and then also has a, a weird. Uh, illustration of whales on the waves 
at just above the scale, the the scale the, the scale for the map, which doesn't make any damn sense. It's like, oh, also here's a picture. Here's a pretty picture of some Those whales. Are big whales. And then uh, Ged's actually up at the top left, and it's got like some mi- a middle age style like um, what I said, like some imagery that was very prominent in like Norse and British and and European sort of uh, imagery off to the side. So whoever did this was trying to make it look authentic. It's just it's just a lot. I I believe the one I have is the one that she drew cuz she her signature is on it. Yeah, so I, I think posted that's the, one... the picture of it in the chat um, that we have. So if people want to look yeah, at let it. Yeah, let me take a glance. I don't know how different it is or if they just added stuff to the original. Yeah, that's the one that's in the beginning of the uh the bird the ebook one. that I have. <laughs> the bird yeah, so that book. seems to have been an updated one for the 2012. This one must not have been done by her. This one, I'm not seeing a name. It's a little easier to read because the islands are actually colored in. They're right. Not just, you right. Know, Lines. They're not just the same colored uh, well, squiggles as the rest of as, it. As, it's not black lines on a white yeah. background. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So and then, and then I just had a few issues, like because because I I like it took one day to get from this place to this place, but then a place that was a similar distance. Who knows currents weather? It took like three days. Little things yes. like that. I didn't feel like the map was um, as concrete in her brain as maybe Tolkien's would have been when she did it. But yeah. you know, I mean, it's a helpful having... visual. I think. I'm not sure because. Uh, Dix and I also joke that it's kind of like Hawaii on steroids, and I mentioned <laughs> the Philippines, is. and I'm wondering <laughs> what the inspiration to have it be like a series of archipelagos was for her. Like, if like if what was she big into like the Pacific Islands, and that's why it's all an archipelago? Was it like a Greek thing? Because I know Greece, uh, as it tapers down to the south, becomes a mm-hmm. series of islands mm-hmm. in the Mediterranean. So I'm wondering, like why she went with this setup and not like Tolkien and, and most other people do in high fantasy where it's a vast land. Like even D&D does the one big continent and World of Warcraft, they all kind of copy that same mentality yeah. of big continent, here's all mm-hmm. the places on mm-hmm. it. Game of Thrones, pretty much. Yeah. They have two big continents, but yeah. Which I guess <laughs> differentiates uh, her, her, her yeah. Earthsea from other right, high fantasy right. by the fact that it is a seafaring um the, it is a seafaring, country, you know, land. It's all islands mm-hmm. in a vast water, and which, which is which is a great way to differentiate it. I'm just wondering why she is there a particular reason she went with that, but yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll find no. out in the future. <laughs> maybe there's pirate battles. Listen, listen home, pirate if battles. If you if you were listening at home and you know the reason Ursula Le Guin made it made it a series of islands. Please let us know by sending your messages to livinginthestacks at gmail.com, I think. I yeah! Hopefully. <laughs> what, I, forget, I forget what our thing was. Um, fix it in post. Is it? Yeah. Fix it in post. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's, about, that's about all I had to say about the map. I just, you know, it's so big. It's so important in these uh-huh. fantasy things. For, but maps are a thing. I thought we'd talk about it. The second thing I encounter in my book, which I assume everyone else encountered, is this poem. And I'm just going to read it for you. Only in silence the word, only in dark the light, only in dying life, bright the hawk's flight on the empty sky from the creation of Ea 
is how I'm pronouncing that. Um, I okay, yeah. personally, this had like Kingdom Hearts right. vibes. Right, <laughs> I was gonna me. say. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, I it's it's hard because when it's something that was written in the past, you want to say it's cliche, but you don't know if it's cliche because this was first. Or exactly, like, it's in that style. Yeah, ancient. when when did it come cliche? But that's what I thought in my head, where it's like, uh, what is it? Like, don't you only know there's only light because of the shadow or something like that. I don't know. Uh, it, to me, <laughs> it's it speaks to yeah. It, it speaks to the overall theme of balance in the book. Is like when is it Ged or Jed? How are we saying? Ged. I say Ged. I know yeah. in, in Japanese it's Geddo in the title of the movie. Okay. So I assume it's Ged. Um, when Ged was talking to uh, Vetch's sister, what was her name? Yaro? Um, near the end-ish. Um, and, you know, he was she was asking him all these questions about the secrets of magic and everything. And how he was saying that, you know, everything, all the power is light and death is the, like, what differentiates between, like, light and dark, I guess? Like, Mm -hmm. if you don't have dark, do you know what light is? Yes. So you can't have silence unless you have words. You can't have dark unless you have light. Um, So that's kind of the... a concept doesn't really exist without its its opposite. Mm Mm-hmm. Because a con like without an opposite, what's the point of having a word for that concept? Which to speaks much, yeah. Which speaks very much to her Taoist ideology. Yeah, see, now that we That's know that, it's like wow, yeah. <laughs> um. So did that kind of get your brain going before you yeah. read the book? Yeah. Uh, sort of, sort of hints at the end of the thing. I, I, I skipped it. <laughs> yeah, like, this isn't part I, of the book. Yeah, I, I find it really difficult uh, when, like, a lot of fantasy or sci-fi stuff starts out with these little prologues, and I find it so difficult to try to extrapolate that, like, I read it, but I definitely don't take it in. But in hindsight, going back, yeah, that's definitely a big tells to what the entire book's going to kind of be like. Yeah, it's a nice little, like, thema- like here are the ba- here are the major themes to play out in the book. It's like a nice thing to go back into in retrospect rather than to rather than to lead off. Although I get why it's also leading off because it, a lot of books do that. They'll have like a nice little um, prelude to the actual book itself with something like that. That only makes sense after you've read mm-hmm. the book. Exactly. Once you finish reading the book, then you can go back to it the second time. And be like, oh, I get these things now. And then, um, generally, in the way that books work, you, in chapter one, you get a sample of the writing of, of the author. So, um, it really, I mean, we can use the whole book, not just, like, what you thought about it first. Um, but what are your thoughts on Le Guin's writing style and tone? It's... It, I definitely feel yeah, Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a depth... The Tol- Tolkien... I, I think that's with especially... 20th century fantasy up until probably about the time that uh, uh, Rowling kind of made it big with Harry Potter, especially high fantasy, that Tolkien influence is just always kind of going to hang over there because he's going to like always cast a shadow on everything. And I definitely felt that. But at the same time, I had a I had an easier time reading this 
then I remember reading through because, um, like I was saying with Crichton, where he would um, he feels like reading a term paper. Lord, the Lord of the Rings especially feels like reading a doctoral thesis on mm-hmm. mythology, and that's why it's very hard to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why so many people thought it was unfilmable because it's not a story-driven book. It's so much about this world building and this this sort of um, creation of a mythology behind it that it's hard that it's hard to just get the basic story out without you know while maintaining some semblance of what the book is really about because it's not about writing a story and telling uh, telling a plot it's about this creation of a universe mm-hmm. and I felt like Le Guin avoided that a lot and told a straightforward story but right. that Tolkien world building aspect of it all is still there and I feel like mm-hmm. with high fantasy you almost have to go out of your way to avoid that yeah so basically she took Tolkien and made it readable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's very densely Accessible, constructed right. prose. Accessible, I, I, exactly. I found it very like there's not a single word wasted, which I find like very refreshing, and it, it, it it's not at all what I was expecting from yeah. from something it's, that you would find in not, a young adult section. I don't know, maybe I'm prejudiced. Prejudiced. And it's not like she spent three pages describing the outfits people were wearing. Right, right. Like, there are some fantasy books, like, Wheel of Time and whatnot. Oh my god, Game of Thrones is so bad about that. (laughs) I don't care about how much your hair shone in the sunlight. Let's go. (laughs) Your Uh, hair was shiny. We get it. Go. Uh, I have something to say, but finish. I lost... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I sort of. Um, no, I was gonna say. Uh, uh, I was gonna. Well, damn it! Now I lost it too. I was like, no, I want you to finish. Uh, um, uh, what was I gonna say? Based, I think it was, it was something about um, that writing. No, I was gonna. I was gonna make a crack at uh, George R. R. Martin. No wonder it takes him so long to write these books because he spends 500 pages writing about how a dress was white. Uh huh. Hair fetish. But yeah, I actually. I actually didn't get much Tolkien. Like, I thought she was... Like, it's only Tolkien in the fact that she's telling a fan a story and there's, like, a certain tone expected. But it's a lot more modern. Um, She does a lot more... um, There's... Oh, where is that? There's there's one from... There's a question I have from, like, way in the future where she's talking um, about... Hold on, let me flip to it. Let me flip to it. while you're God finding that, um, uh, I, 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 I'll, yeah, I'll say. I found it. I, it this is the difference between the Tolkien writes like an Oxfordian professor because that's what he was. Ursula mm-hmm. Le Guin writes like an American would write fantasy, which is not so focused on these minutia and filling, you know, trying to, you know, build this tapestry. She's mm-hmm. more like weaving a, you know, a coherent story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the main difference, and that's why she's not... This is comparable to Tolkien only because Tolkien set the standard for high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Le Guin yeah. go, the, the reason The reason Le Guin, unfortunately, gets, uh, gets um, compartmentalized with all these other young adult stuff is because she didn't feel the need to make it sound hot, fancy-like. Right. Things, things she is a master at is the use of fragmented um, little things... 
um, especially when she's writing about physical actions. And the one passage I did find uh, is where um, he's, I think it's where they're doing like the hunt. Yeah, where he's hunting for the shadow in chapter 8. Um, she says, there was only a tumult of water around him, over him, binding him, strangling him, drowning him. Like this repetition, you don't see that kind of stuff in Tolkien. And I think like there's so much of that in this whole book. And it's really beautifully done. Mm-hmm. And I really found that refreshing. Like it's not something you see used a lot. It's very poetic. Yes. Yeah. In that, in that, in that aspect. Which, despite the fact that Tolkien would write poems and incorporate song and stuff into his writing, his prose was all very dry and yes. long-winded. And then the... Which, once again, comes with the fact that he's an Oxfordian <laughs> professor. Yeah. So, um, just, do we like the writing style? Yeah. Is, is that re- a fun change? I, I probably would... It would probably take me a while to come back to this one specifically... I'll go into more. That's more has to do with Ged as a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I would absolutely <laughs> check out more of Le Guin's other writings yes. because I dig this style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. This book in particular felt a lot like a prequel to a series that I haven't read yet. Kind of. Mm-hmm. It felt like getting the backstory of how Gandalf grew up without ever having seen The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like, you don't ever get the wizard's backstory. You get that coming-of-age story. Yeah. Exactly. No one's so, concerned about how Radagast became Radagast the Brown, for the most part, unless it's really compelling. Yeah. So, it was... It was hard to kind of shake that expectation of, okay, well, we're gonna get this little blurb about the, the this big, badass wizard boss, and then... <laughs> get to the rest of the story while the whole book is the blurb about the big badass wizard wizard boss yeah like and then the other thing is the story starts with already telling us that Ged is going to be an awesome fucking wizard so like we kind of know in this book that he's not gonna die (laughs) so I I, I didn't didn't he went into a coma like what four times like, isn't there die. a medical limit of how many comas you can go into and survive? <laughs> it, it only takes three days every time to recover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, Maybe it's but, different because yeah, it's magic comas. But at the same time, I kind of, I thought that maybe she was doing that because she wanted the story to sound like something more high fantasy. Like, this was a legend that everyone knows. Like, we don't, we know that he doesn't die, but the story is so important. Yeah, I so can see that. I, I don't know if she was trying to set the stage that way, or she just was like, doesn't matter that he dies. It's the journey that counts. <laughs> or that yeah, I think that, like, this it. feels like a prequel to the main, this feels like, at the same, it feels like the revision of The Hobbit to include more stuff from The Lord of the Rings after mm-hmm. the fact. Mm-hmm. Only Because it even makes direct mention of later books. Like, with the, the, the old hermit couple, or no, they're not couple, I think they're more portrayed as both brother and sister, um, on the little outcropping of rock that the shadow makes him crash into, mm-hmm. the, the, the woman gives him a half of a ring, and it literally says this yeah. wasn't important until a later adventure. 
when he becomes the archmage. They're like, and he'll be the archmage in the future. But let's get back to this important hunt for his shadow and facing mortality. Yeah, okay, thank you. I hated that. A little disjointed. It it was in some places. It was one thing to mention at the beginning because then you forget about it as you read. But to have it, that chapter 8 is very important with hunting the shadow. We're full of suspense. We think there's going to be an encounter. And then we're reminded that he's lives again. I was, I was like, mm, why? It feels, yeah, it feels <laughs> like she had the mindset of, well, I want to set up future books. It's like, the, it's like when movies will set up sequel bait for the next time around. Mm-hmm. But there's never a guarantee that there's going to be a next time around. You, I feel like... The best, the, the part where the book works best is when it's self-contained and it's right. not worrying about. Right. Well, here's something that's going to happen. This this person will become important later in his life in another book, and I feel like that's a whole. Th- that was one of the problems with like the Star Wars prequels as well, is because this thing will become important in the actual story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So then, um, chapter one, we get a little taste of our first taste of the world of Earth Sea. Um, we kind of get a description of how magic works, where um, they're not incantations necessarily, but kind of. Um, and it's not using common language, but rather the true names of things. So I imagine there's like formulas where you can plug in these true names and manipulate depending on the that become, order. And... That becomes a big uh, issue later on, I think, chapter five or six when he faces the dragon. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Which I like. I like that aspect of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, so, yeah. how, I mean, I really loved this. It was really refreshing to not just have, like, a wizard have a staff and go, bam, fireball. Uh, yeah, how do we feel about the subtlety there? The, the whole thing with him, uh, overhearing his aunt talk to a goat and having it listen to her, and then him doing the same thing, like, just learning by, uh, observation... And then ended up ending up swarming himself with goats and running through town like a madman. <laughs> like he's the funny. Beatles in one of those, in like a hard day's night and the goats are all the teenage girls. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of took magic from being this like high and mighty, you know, I'm better than you because I can do magic and put it more in an accessible, ha ha, funny down to earth down to earth uh-huh. kind of setting like hey i can make, i can use magic but i didn't know how to do it so i ended up getting swarmed by goats i like that aspect of it too the idea that everybody who knows the language can use magic it's accessible that's why like later on in the book when he has to get from rope to oskill i think it was or sure. maybe no it wasn't rope it was um <laughs> It was from. Uh, it, was some, some it was from where the he first his first station was where he fought the dragon. He went uh, to go Pendor. from that those islands to Oskil, and he, he was talking to the the, the the I think the captain or the the ship master, and he was like, I I can you know do I can do weather magic and like yeah I can do weather magic too. What else you got? You got money. <laughs> I feel like the idea that. As, as long as you are scholarly enough to understand how it works and are able to access... And, of course, it also deals with your inherent power because, as we as that introduced, um, anybody who said the goat's name would call it goat. That's why his aunt was able to do it. But because he did it, something within him, he had some sort of predisposition to have this in, inner power mm-hmm. 
about him that that's why the spell went completely out of control. Yeah. And I feel like having that aspect of yeah, anybody can do magic, but some people have a better disposition and power over it. I don't know that necessarily anybody can because when he runs into uh, his friend Vetch and Vetch's younger siblings, um, what was her name? Yara? I, I don't sorry, remember. <laughs> Yaro or something like that. And I thought they were gonna hook up. Maybe <laughs> I totally did too. I totally did I too. That was like, <laughs> but I liked how subtle that that almost romance. Maybe was. in a future book, she'll be like Queen Archmage right. or something. <laughs> I I liked that it was a subtle. They noticed each other. That was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes but, that's all you really need. Right. That's all. That's all. Jenny and Harry were for the longest time. People need. <laughs> some people need a little bit more. <laughs> oh yeah. I th- and maybe, who knows, maybe that'll be a thing in later we'll books. See. But, like, um, it specifically meant, it specifically says that those two didn't have the talent for mm-hmm. magic. Like, so it seems like there is, an, like, an inherent, either you have the talent to perform magic or you don't. Yeah, that's kind but of how I perceived that, it, too. Past that, you, your ability to advance has more to do with your um, ethic, like your, your work ethic. Mm-hmm. Because it mentions that Jasper, um, after the whole thing on Roke Knoll, um, you know, Ged never sees him again at the school or anything, and then he asks Vetch what happens, and Vetch is like, oh yeah, he never got his... Uh, staff, even though he was purported to be one of the higher uh, pupils on Rogue. Uh, at the school, yeah. Yeah. So, it that I think that has more to do with Jasper being a prick and not applying himself. Yeah. That's what I, he, he is an 80s yuppie villain. <laughs> By all, you know, even though this was 1968, he is totally that 80s yuppie villain. He, I could totally see him with like a sweater tied around his neck. Like, like, like the w- preppy w- little <laughs> Exactly. Because I came from one of the highest houses. I'm the son of the lord of this island. Yeah. Is it the Carlton uh, to Ged's Fresh Prince? <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Although, that's the thing. Ged? My, se- my third note, because uh, I also mentioned the, uh, the archipelago was an interesting choice as a setting. My third note, Ged is kind of a brat. Like, yeah. <laughs> the first two, three chapters are Ged being like, but I want to do real magic. And it's like, I, I, I know, I know. That's the thing is that he's like 12 going up to 15 before the Rogue Knoll incident. Or Goke Knoll. Uh, it's, it's Rogue. Okay, then my stupid phone autocorrected or something. <laughs> or I t- mistyped it. Anyway, Rogue Knoll. Yeah, before that, all, the, all leading up to that, I just wanted to reach into the book and be like, would you stop it? Yeah. Come on, <laughs> knock it off. But that's what you I little found. Brat. I found that interesting though because I had difficulty the majority of the book connecting with Ged as a character. Uh, I found that there wasn't really much of a character there, but he definitely has a character as a child, and I thought that that was beautifully done. And then, like, I just felt like I never knew the guy past then. Um, he, yeah. he kind of turns into chicken shit after... He turns into the woe is me, like, very end of book five Harry Potter, like, 
oh no, uh, what am I doing? What's go? What? What? You know, I've I did this terrible thing. I feel so bad. Woe is me. He turns into like um, who's another correlation? He becomes the Edge Lord. He became. Yeah. It yeah. was it was Full Metal Alchemist. There you go. <laughs> oh, there. That's a great. Point. He is definitely. He is uh, Edward Elric, and he's pretty yep. bummed. <laughs> exactly. He he becomes that sort of thing, and he lose. I think. Hopeful. I'm assuming by the and I think by the end of the book he gets better at it once he kind of overcomes the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he'd have to become better because you know you can't be the, the archmage and be chicken shit. Exactly. <laughs> be like, oh no, no, what have I done? Woe is yeah. me. I mean, you you kind of have to know your shit and be competent and confident in order to become the archmage. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd imagine he so, kind of would have a nice to... lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is unfortunately I think the 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 weakest part of the guy's life story. I feel like this is a great introduction. It's a great, it's a great like cornerstone. Yeah, exactly. It's like a great base level, but the good stuff doesn't come until later. Mm-hmm. I also have a note in here. Uh, I think this is either chapter two or three, where it mentioned that the people of a town. I think it was Roke um, speaking riddles. Yeah, and my and my immediate thought was, oh, it's like Castlevania too. <laughs> the people all speak in riddles, and most of them lie. Yeah, I did. Kind of reminded me of. Uh... The, the, the light entity things in um, uh, Stargate SG-1 that all speak in riddle. Like, if you know the candle was fired and the meal was cooked long ago. Yeah, the, the people in Roke had me wondering because there's all this emphasis on words being important and all of a sudden everyone's speaking in riddles. And I'm like, ooh, how are the words important? Like, are these riddles, like, deeper than just riddles? That kind of thing. And I think my favorite riddle is when uh, Ged goes up to someone and he asks, like, hey, where is the the wizard school? And he's like, the wise don't need to ask. The fool asks in vain. And I'm like, ooh, I wanted to say that to every single customer that asked a stupid <laughs> question when I worked customer service. <laughs> like, I wish yep. I could get away with that. Can I live in Roke for a day? <laughs> it's gonna be a sassy Starbucks or sassy Starbucks barista. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, I thought that was cool. Um, while we were on the subject of magic, though, what is our favorite display of magic? Personally, yes. My I have two. Mm-hmm. One is his fight with the dragons of Pendor. Because mm-hmm. the him just I can just I'm, that spoke so visually to me. Of him being on a on this like chaotic sea while these little dragons, which even though they're baby dragons, are like the size of buses, mm-hmm. are flying out at him, and he just sticks his, his he doesn't even use his staff. His staff is still just on the ground. He's just using his hand and binds them, and they all drown in the sea. I'm like, holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah, and then the actual that. actual fight with the dragon, uh. I was telling Dix this too. Reminded me of the fight with Dormammu at the end of Doctor Strange, where it's just like it's a, not about a, a feat of strength or power. It's like I tricked, ha! Huh? I tricked you. Mm-hmm. I tricked you. Now you got to do what I say. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, "Oh my god, how did you defeat the dragon?" And then nobody knows. It's like well, I just know his name. Mm-hmm. He didn't even know for sure that that was his name. He like guessed. Mm-hmm. I he just, was totally bluffing and 
he was right. The other one came during his escape from Oskill. It's after he found because uh, uh, for those who haven't read, he he wrote. He, there's a little companion that's only in a few chapters. <laughs> he he it's, it is it, he meets it in Roke, and it's apparently like this ravenous rat creature. That has like sharp teeth. I'm imagining something like a that's young goose Hoag. from Pokemon. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's the same as Hoag or something. Yeah, he calls it Hoag. It's an Otak, is the technical definition. It's basically a young goose from Pokemon, and it curl. And it's like out of all the things, because like there are ravens, there are hawks, there's falcons, there's all kinds of creatures that wizards befriend and become familiars. And uh, Ged's first familiar is this little rat with sharp teeth that just kind of like comes and hangs out. <laughs> And um, after he see, after he escapes uh, Terabon, was I think the was the the, the Lord there over on Oskil, so uh, the one he was told to um, touch yeah, the stone. And... Exactly, he wants him to touch the stone. Touch it. Touch it. Touch it. Just, touch it. Just I want you to touch it. You'll <laughs> learn everything. And I, I like that bit where he's all the you know when when the the lady there is telling him these things. It's not about you know. The wizards aren't telling you all the stuff. I like that aspect of how it's trying to subvert this idea of how the wizards aren't telling you the whole story and not all magic, not all, ma- you know, it's not, you know, magic is not inherently evil. And then as as, soon, as she's talking, Ged's like, you're full of shit. I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he finds the Otak because he blacks out on the run from the shadow who had um, possessed this, this, uh, Rowing, dude Row, rowing made from the ship he took to Oskill. And uh, he blacks out, and when he escapes from that uh, tower, from that magically sealed away tower, he finds the Otak in the snow. And it's something that, you know, had been attacked and killed. And in, like, in, like, pure, unadulterated rage, he just picks up a blade of grass and, like, lengthens it out into a full staff. And starts shooting fire at these monsters. And it's beautiful. And I love that <laughs> idea of like, in just pure rage, all he does, pluck, little gla- little piece of grass, and then just like, whoomp. Now he's got a wizard staff, and he's just ready to kick ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Anyone else have any different bits of magic that they enjoyed? I like, um... In the very first chapter, the warriors in the mist and all that, the what he comes up with on the fly as a kid to mm-hmm. as a kid to save his entire village. I feel like that's the most authentic bit of um, magic in the entire thing because it it doesn't come from book learning. It doesn't come from uh, from any sort of like place of study outside or knowledge, study right. or not any of that. It comes from a place of desperation. Mm-hmm. And taking what he, like the bits and pieces of what he had been taught from other traveling magicians and everything and kind of mashing it all together in order for his village, What what is it, like less than 50 fighters or might have even been less than 30 uh-huh. Villagers against this gang of like this horde of Vikings, hundreds right? Right, like individuals. Oh, hang on, one one moment. Can we pause, please? Yep. 
Yeah, thanks. One sec. Sure. I did find out who the uh, illustrator was. Apparently, this 2004 edition is just a reprint of the 68 edition. Um, but uh, the uh, the uh, illustrations were done by someone named Ruth Robbins, and that was for the 68 thing. So okay, sorry. They're... You put up signs, yeah. people don't read them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I was just saying, uh, Ruth Robbins, I found the illustrator for my edition, which is apparently just a reprint of the 68 edition. Anyway, um, uh, who else has a favorite feat of magic? I enjoyed him turning into a bird just because that was like the whole, his first goal from, from when he arrived there. It was like, oh, that's a neat little payoff. Was, was cha- changing things, not just like illusions, but like actually changing things. I had a little exactly. bit of a, uh, <laughs> when, he, when he turned into a bird to escape and fly back to Gaunt, uh, and he was like a bird for three days or something. It made me think yeah. of Animorphs. <laughs> like, oh no, he's going to be yeah. stuck oh, as no. a bird. Oh no, not Tobias. No, <laughs> Tobias, get out. <laughs> Tobias, you have to change back. I just thought that. That's oh, why I was like, oh god, it's Tobias. That's, that was my thing. Uh, oddly enough, I wonder if Animorph didn't take something from this because... For the next couple of days, he is an, he is inherently animalistic and has to recover Ooh. his humanity. And they and... talk about how other like one wizard would always morph into a bear until he just had the mind of a bear yep. and would even kill his children. And then they're like there are dolphins of the sea, and some you know may have been wizards past. And it's like holy cow! And then it makes you wonder. That's why dolphins are so smart and like having lots of sex. <laughs> they're just wizards. That's... That's why dolphins are rapists because they are they are humans that that have turned into dolphins. Yeah. Dolphins that are wizards. It. It's canon. We won't say that in Disney Nature's dolphins. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my favorite takeaway. Dolphins are wizards, by the way. Hey. Yep. Uh, dolphins are horny wizards. Um, my favorite. I had two that were my favorite. One of them wasn't even Ged. It's just something that they talked about when they were telling us about magic uh, in chapter one, on page twenty. It said uh, they're talking about controlling the weather and it says um in a land where sorcerers come thick like gaunt or the enlades you may see a rain cloud blundering slowly from side to side and place to place <laughs> as one spell shunts it onto the next to the last <laughs> like it's like fucking storm tennis between wizards and that was hilarious i thought that was yeah, awesome i like that, so I like that imagery because I, I remember specifically in Hawaii, uh, I saw you would see the rain from a distance and how it would look. And I'm just imagining something like that, where it just keeps going back and forth across the island as wizards are like, and it's like, just tell me where to go. And like, nobody ever dissipates the rain. It just keeps going back and forth. It had me wonder about what would happen with like, uh, the environment though (laughs) like I was thinking scientifically and I'm like put me on this like spiraling trail of oh well is this the science of this world do do they not need actual science (laughs) anyway Um, my other bit of magic I really enjoyed I didn't really like the larger displays uh, as much even though I wanted wizard fireworks like it's weird I wanted wizard fireworks but I also really enjoyed the subtle uses of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked what he did when he had to make like a little boat. Oh yeah! During the hunt, where it's like part of his boat's like invisible, but like he made it visible. <laughs> like 
there's like holes in his boat and he's he's covering the holes in his boat with like a magic field driftwood and magic and then it mentions that he was uncomfortable with seeing through his boat so then he just made it look like it was full like it was filled but it wasn't and then he had like a magic sail it was like you are like skating on a piece of wood across the thing and the rest of your boat is magic and that is awesome that was <laughs> and then cool. you can't sleep I thought that was and then you can never go to sleep or it'll yeah. it'll turn into driftwood poor guy again. poor guy um, so yes, there's little bits about magic. Um, let me skip around a bit because we are kind of covering. Yeah, we're a running lot. a bit long. Yeah, yeah, go. We're running a bit long, but we also like covered. We, we, yeah, we're we going covered back a lot across the book. The book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to find like an interesting question. If anyone else has something they just want to bring up while I'm finding an interesting question, feel free. Um, one of my notes was uh, as it went to towards Oskill, I like the idea of um, like once after Roknoll, it turns into uh, a sort of uh, what's the terminology? What kind of that kind of story where it's like uh, on the land, you're on the run all the time and having to escape something that's chasing after you. I thought it was an interesting sh- shift in the plot, but yeah. then once he got to Oskill and it turns into a literal horror movie. Oh, yeah. Where he's like, Shiork, what is happening? What is, hey, are we there yet? And, he, and then the guy turns around and it's the monster the whole time. It's been the monster for like who knows how long. And then he, then he wakes up in this castle and it's like a dream. And he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And it's like, oh my God, we're in a horror movie. We had <laughs> just entered a horror movie. What is going on? Yeah, it, there was a... a radio drama I listened to recently that was called The Mime, where these people go into a theater. Oh, it was on the Lamplight radio play, if anyone wants to check it out. It's like a quarterly... There's only like five episodes. But um, it's called The Mime, and these people go to a theater, and then uh, they go home, and then like one of the guys starts getting like followed around by a mime, like creepily, and it only happens when you're alone that the mime is there. And then... Every episode. <laughs> it was creepy, so I was tempted to picture it as a mime. But about <laughs> about the shadow, um, I thought it was interesting that it was like just described as horrifying, but not. Um, there was a vague shape of it, but I, I liked that she left there. I think she intentionally did it, left it to where we can picture what it looks the most terrifying to us. Yeah, I like the idea of it doesn't have a specific shape. It's a formless shape. It, it is literal shadows. Yeah, it's just scurry. Uh-huh. Scurry on. Um, I think I think it would be remiss not to talk about um, the, the race in the book, since that's an important oh, issue I mean, to her. Since we set up the whole idea of race race and uh, and gender in, in Le Guin's stories, the yeah, we that's the whole thing is like yeah. that was the first thing that stood out to me was I pictured Gaunt as somewhat European somewhat European based but once he gets to Roke it's it's like he entered uh, New York City or London or something somewhere a city that has all of this diversity around him and the students at the at the at the academy they were of all varying degree, you know degrees of, degrees of color and they were just but they were just all there to do magic and it was like this egalitarian society where for the most part, unless you go to a smaller island that's kind of off by itself, you don't re- and you don't know the language. You're it's all kind of, you know for places like Rogue, it's pretty you know it's all egalitarian because race 
never really comes up. It's just the, everybody coexists. Actually, I, I um, like definitely Roke, but I believe the default from what I could read in this book, um, especially they even mention it in Gaunt, like the typical Gauntishman is uh, like copper brown, they said. Right. So all of Gaunt is brown people. And the interior islands, they made them sound all like, uh, the only people that they specifically mentioned were white were people from Cargat, and they described them as savages, uh, <laughs> blonde-haired, I mean, blue-eyed savages, and there's like also I mean. there's slaves from there, too. Uh, like, on the boat, when he's on the boat from, I forget where to wherever, where he's rowing, uh, I think it's when he's going yeah, the, to the... Oskill. Yeah. Um... All the slaves rowing are white as well. Um, and I thought it was interesting. Like, it's really great to have people of color, and it's really cool. But do you think that it almost was a little bit, like, I don't know. I don't want to say, like, I'm sure she meant well, but it just seems like a just, just flipping it. She's just flipping it, and that's it. Like, it, there I wasn't think... much thought or world building into it. I think that's the problem is that by building this fantasy realm and trying to diversify it and create these realms where it's all people of color being represented, we also don't really know much of anything because we don't have a lot of good correlations because it's not like we're recognizing them as we would uh, our African mm -hmm. or our uh, Asian yes. of, or some kind or some, you know, yeah. our um, Latin American. You know, some, something that we would recognize, we don't have a correlation to what they are. But I like the idea of flipping, no, realizing that so much of high fantasy has always been European mythology, that the idea of, here's a fantasy realm that's just, you know, very... And of course, you're, like I said, I think that's why I thought of Pacific Islands, as maybe that's why uh, she went with uh, people, most people are of a darker skin, because it would be a Pacific Island situation where these people are out in the middle of nowhere on an island with a lot of direct sunlight. Mm -hmm. Which begs the question, where do the white folk come from? Exactly. Like, what is the racial makeup of Earthsea in the sense that how do, what, where do these race, races seem to come from? Because even within, like, D&D, um, &D, with all the sub-races of humans, they'll say, these, you know, there'll be, like, some form of correlation where, sadly, the the Eastern Asian-based uh, sub-race uh, uh, sub in D&D uh, &D is Mulan, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible choice uh, <laughs> and feels like it was completely done by a white person. Yeah. Um, like, but at the same time, like, having these... Like, the, the there's a correlation that we would recognize. Like, there's some there's a sub-race that resembles uh, Air, you know, Middle Eastern people and, and Arabic people. Uh, Culture, and then the the Mulan are the equivalent of uh, Eastern Asian, and uh, you know some some were Europe, more European, Northern European, Scandinavian. Some were more um, uh, uh, Af Northern African. So I mean, like without that correlation, we don't really have an idea of the racial buildup of this world. Yeah. And with it being an archipelago, like being one cluster of islands, even if it's a large cluster of islands, um, there's not a whole lot of, there's not going to be a whole lot of um, a, a, a difference in terms of climate necessarily mm. 
or you know the the way um on like in the real world places closer to the equator you're more likely to have darker skin because it helps protect you from uh uh UV the damage right damaging sun yeah. stuff evolution um right and the further north or south you get the further away from the equator you get we're lighter skinned in order to maximize um, vitamin D uh, production. On an archipelago, what you're going to have one little cluster of islands that these Kardish people come from that is really cloudy and that's why they're pale? What What's the biological logic behind having all these different skin, skin tones in an archipelago. Right. When it, like, the book seems to go out of its way to negate the possibility of there being a larger kind of overworld type of deal. Mm-hmm. Like, the archipelago is all there is. In which case, why call it an archipelago? Because if you don't have anything else by which to, 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 to compare it to, like... What's a peninsula? What's uh, any other sort of landmass? I mean, it's I, it'll stay an archipelago just because that's the technical term for a collection of islands. Uh-huh. Well, yes, but it, in do, that it world, does seem to be a pretty big archipelago. Yeah, it is very yeah, spread is, out. Exactly, the entire world is all all landmass is a one giant archipelago. Although I, I don't know if archipelago means collectively. Like the Philippines is an archipelago, but but like not like everything the in Oceania. Isles. Yeah, like how, exactly. Like is everything its own subsect, sub sub archipelago? Like it, it feels it's a it's. I feel like if, despite the fact that she is also the daughter of two anthropologists, I feel like maybe if she had gone more, that's where Tolkien did thrive was because he had a basic, he had this vast understanding of European mythologies that he knew what to tap into and reference back to in order to create this realm. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like if she had a better understanding of what Earthsea correlated to in the real world, where it, like so many uh, mythology uh, uh, fantasy correlates back to Europe and specifically like in England or Scandinavia, if she had something in mind, like did she intend this to be like a Pacific Islands situation where it's a vast array of islands and it's all. mostly people of darker complexions is this all are the islands so where how are the islands spread out on a globe like is there an equator is this a smaller planet so that the equator is different from and the further the islands further north and south of that equator would have lighter and fairer skin like i feel like if she had a better understanding of what of that aspect of why these things are the way they are in our world that she could correlate that to this fantasy realm yeah, I I think I I had less concerns about um like the scientific reasons for the races being there. I think what I just kind of wanted to point out is that like it's great that she has people of color, but I think it's important that like we don't um like she's not praised too much because like while they're people of color, they're not people of color that deal with the same issues that we do in our world and um like, people be like, oh, well, she's awesome because she, like, wrote black people in. But, you, you know, they're, they're not necessarily people You shouldn't be diverse de- just for yeah. its own sake. 
Yeah, it just seems like they could just be, like, they could just be white people <laughs> dealing, like, They the, can just I'm, be people. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, well, how does race come into this? Right. So, I'm, I'm, like, yeah, it just seems like, I I think the focus on celebrating her for the race, uh, it's, yeah, it's exactly. hard to if say it without re- sounding dumb, because I'm a white person. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> we're all white. Yeah, we're yeah. all white people. Uh, we, are all, we, are, we are all white people on this podcast. Uh, but I think that notion of it's good that she wants to add more people of color mm-hmm. to the fantasy world, which is a desperate need yes. to, right, in right. high fantasy to have less Eurocentric basis it, of the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Even so. Like the... The... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh... It feels like it's more she's just saying, oh, this person has copper skin instead of referencing, you know, African culture or mm. Asian culture. It, 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 it seems to be arbitrary as far as skin color mm-hmm. and not really reaching into the culture of any other. Yes. Uh, 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 yeah. Like the closest we get is these whites people who come and raid the village are correlated to Vikings. That's about it. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. like we don't know. Like, is Oskil supposed to be based on a Spain or a Portugal? Like, how how do these islands correlate to the real world? Yeah. Well, again, it's it's, mm-hmm. an, it's it's an aspect of world building that I feel like if she had a better idea of what she wanted to create, how these islands related to something we would understand, which is what all fantasy tends to do, is to find some correlation to um, the real world and comment on that, then what is the point of having this diversity if the diversity doesn't also play into the world makeup? Like, do the Oskills, they also don't all speak the same language, but we all understand it as English. Whereas I feel like if it was something more along the lines of, I know um, Gretchen did this for for the story that would eventually get adapted into the 13th Warrior, um, he... It, uh, he took a historical figure who was from, uh, I believe, Iraq, present-day Iraq or mm-hmm, Iran, mm-hmm. maybe Persia, um, the, and he, played by Antonio Banderas in the movie, because, you know, same thing, <laughs> Middle Eastern. <laughs> um, but uh, that character, you know, that historian spent, spent time with these Vikings and didn't understand the language until he could start piecing together. And the nice thing about the movie is all he hears is gibberish until he starts to understand what these words correlate to in his language. And that's when the the movie enters, at all stays the same English um, soundtrack than dialogue. I feel like if, it, if she wanted to have these differenti- differentiations between the islands, like this island speaks this own language and it's its own culture... Mm-hmm. Then that should have been better especially explained. like the bigger groups, the bigger exactly. groups of the islands. Yeah, if she, I think if she built up the cultures of people, like I mean, it doesn't need to be a one-to-one mapping into our world. But even mm-hmm. if, um, I don't know, like kind of, kind of like Black Panther she, did. Like there's yeah. very modern oh society with lots of traditionally African. Um, aesthetic, cultural uh-huh. traditions, things like that. Like, it's not one-to-one. I mean, kind of. But, <laughs> there but, are one-to-one correlations, yeah, like, but I it felt... Th- Waka- yeah, the fictional Wakanda takes aspects of what would have happened if these uh, if these cultures in pre-colonial Africa 
would have had their own money and their own power uh-huh. aside from the Europeans who tried to colonize them and they were allowed to develop on their own. Yeah. And that's Wakanda. Yeah. There's a lot of thought put into that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, I... And I, and I, but I also feel like uh, that that's not her background, even though she's yeah. anthropology. Like, I feel like that's more of her parents' background, so she has the basics, but I don't... That, she didn't herself study anthropology, right? Right. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I believe she was. She did literature, like uh, Italian and French literature. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she has math yeah, degrees so, and like masters and stuff. Yeah, like I feel like if her, like if she had her painful. parents' knowledge of these sorts of things, then we would get. We wouldn't have. We wouldn't be having as many issues. Yeah, and with this, just, with this. just because we didn't say it, Guin is also white. So she's yeah, not, uh-huh. exactly, which is actually not what I thought. I thought she was black before I read her bio, and I'm like, oh, okay, because it's unfortunate. A lot of the racial writing gets, um, you know, it's not seen as something that white people need to do. So I do laud her attempt. However, I feel that it falls short in a couple aspects. But I do think it's cool from a visual perspective to see mm-hmm. badass brown and black people doing wizard shit that is awesome yeah <laughs> i think we yes, can all agree absolutely. <laughs> um and then i guess one last thing just on that note i'm um, not racial but gender she writes a lot about gender however uh-huh. there's a lot there's, of dude there wizards. are not a lot of females there's a lot of dude wizards in the latter half of the novel and a lot of uneducated, weird there's like witchy. no ladies well, there's like sorceresses and witches but they're kind of depicted as not knowing a lot and just yeah, kind of being still kind of depicted weird as a, an underclass. Yeah, so I'm. They're on the margins of this yes, book. Yes, I believe there's probably more women in other books. Um, I'm hoping that there's a witch so. school or like a sorceress school. <laughs> you know, I want there to be some badass women too, which I believe. Uh-huh. Um, judging from yeah, characters like that you see main... in the Ghibli adaptation, I believe there are some yeah, badass women in the future. Just yeah, the main thing with this was like the it was a predominantly male cast, and like the main females were the little girl who from Gaunt, who comes back Sarah. later on in the story, and yeah. uh, his aunt. She's also white, and, by the way. Exactly. That evil woman <laughs> oh. who put like lead in people's bone marrow. She's white. <laughs> In the, in oh, the oh, really? Yeah, sure. Le Guin's on to something. She's in there. Everyone that's horrible is white in this book, which is fine. Which, I, mean, <laughs> I don't mind. I mean, it I, mean, um, I, I listen to that the dollop. That feels accurate. I listen to the dollop. I mean, that's, wow. kind of, uh, that's kind of a standard in, you know, human history. Mm-hmm. There's a reason they mm-hmm. always say, beware the blue, blue eyes from the north. Blue eyes, white dragon. I thought you were going to say that. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I mean, there's a reason he called that. There's a reason he's also the most powerful, sadly. You know, for a bunch of white folk, we sure do hate white folk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're have dealing you with met a lot us? of guilt. We're it's trying. Because we're woke. Oh my god. Have you met us? Yeah, we suck. Yeah. Anyway, um, but um, besides her, there was uh, there's like the lady who was like whose only main thing was to be attractive at the at the, well, the lady of O. Yeah, the Lady of O, who's just, like, her main thing is to be, like, charming and attractive, and then she just disappears. <laughs> and then, aside from that, there's, like, Vetch's siblings and the uh, one woman from the, that was stranded on the island, and then uh, then some kid's mom who cries. That's about it. Yeah. There's not yeah. really a whole lot of... There's not really a whole lot of prominent female characters. They're all kind of... Support, uh, supporting characters. Yeah, so I was a little disappointed there because 
I don't the re- the reason I originally picked the book is because I had seen the Ghibli adaptation, and just to describe my physical appearance to people, I have a large pink birthmark on seventy five percent of the right hand side of my body. And there is a character in that Ghibli film who is disfigured, but she looks like she has a birthmark like I do on my face. And so I wanted to get some cool, badass, people with weird faces representation. And I didn't get it in this book, which is fine. She's in a different book, I've learned. Um, But I was just also sad that there were no, like, normal badass women, too. (laughs) But that's okay. I'm sure they're out there. I'm used to it. I would hope that they are in later books. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, the foundation for Ged's entire journey was fostered by a lovely witchy lady, so she can take credit. Her first act in the book, her first prominent act in the book was trying to ensnare him to her will. Well, not her, the the uh, his aunt, the witch. Yeah. The the. The, no, the, the yeah, his aunt was. No, we're not talking about Sarah. The no, yeah, that's what I'm. No, Sarah isn't the one. Sarah is the one who gets him to get who tricks him into casting. Looking at the yeah, looking, but uh, his the aunt was the one. Thing is, yeah, that's who I was talking about. The uh, one of her first acts is to try to get him to be subservient to her, and like, oh, I'm not going to be able. You're, I'm going to make you unable to talk. Until I say you can, but he can still laugh and that scares her. I thought that was... I didn't read it as binding her to her will, but just so he didn't, like, fuck around with magic. And... and, I thought it was just, like, like, a straight jacket for the magic. Also that she wouldn't get into trouble for teaching him magic in this small town. But perhaps... Because she seemed to just be, like, (laughs) the local medicine woman for for all intents and purposes. Yeah. All right. Um... I mean... I guess we can talk about just the end. Did we feel okay with the end? Did we like the end? I can't say I wasn't expecting (laughs) it, but... um, Yeah, it do kind of lead in, like, the final climax, like, the climax between him and the Shadow was kind of foreseen. Mm -hmm. They kind of hinted at it with the the fight with uh, the Dragon of Pandora. And his name is Drumroll Ged! Oh, I mean, I. <laughs> oh no! I kind of, I kind of like the fact that, that his biggest problem is himself. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that but, was kind of so for, a nice way to to round out his his character arc. It was fun. It ties back into Taoism. It's a literal. <laughs> um, what's it called? Y- oh, yin yeah. Yang symbol, where he is the light side and he needs his dark side. Yeah. I think there was an episode balance. of Star Trek about that. I was just really annoyed <laughs> because there no, was... No, that was Wait, just about Star racism. Star Trek or Star Wars? Because I think that's everything. When I was... no, the Star Trek episode was just about racism. No, no, there was one... There was an episode <laughs> in the original series where an, a, tra- uh, a transporter accident separates... Oh, God, that's right! Kirk, Kirk, the evil Kirk. Kirk. The evil side. <laughs> and it was I forgot about that one. Nuts. Now I was thinking about the literal one where the black and white face oh, yeah. faces are switched and now they and they hate each other because racism. <laughs> <laughs> not Which all I mean, of, not all of the original series was gold. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't all subtle. I mean, one of their aliens was like what a, a chow with uh, lion fur on it and all unicorn horn. Yeah, the dog with with the unicorn horn. 
yeah, yeah there's, there's um, a, <laughs> there was a thing like earlier in the book like literally when he was first recovering from like someone coma the number shadow, five where well no this was coma number one i actually <laughs> okay. think um, where it was explained to him that the shadow was the shadow of his own ignorance and, like, the ah. shadow of something else. Like, it literally said it was him. Oh, yeah. And the, I was the first just time irritated when Sarah going through my again. I'm like, they just said it right there. Like, it, <laughs> why did I, I still thought it was going to be something a little different. But when he couldn't absolutely find the name, I knew it was going to be good. I'm like, uh. You know, it should have been the, the ant. Like, the shadow should have been hmm. the ant. Yeah, I want it that to would be an yes, entity. Maybe like <laughs> the, the shadow was summoned and it possessed Jasper, and that's who mm. it ultimately was. Then maybe yeah. he would have had a point, and that rivalry could have yeah, led to exactly. something. But I, I, I get the idea of also the you know yeah. one of the biggest conflicts is man versus self. So mm-hmm. the idea of Ged's biggest hurdle is to overcome his own shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just feel like the book after that just kind of like slammed to a halt. Yeah. yeah. They did the thing that like in a corny movie where they have to tell you what happened. Like it was based on a where true story. Where are they now? And they have to tell you what happened to them all. I was yeah, like this is and it's like yeah. and it's like oh, okay and Ged becomes Archmage and yeah. He's awesome. And, yeah. and it's like but don't you forget Ged <laughs> what Ged went on to become the Archmage no, of Rogue. No, no, no. Vetch yes. went on to become yes. <laughs> become Senator for the state of Vermont. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, I guess, yeah, it was, it was just a meh. I, it was a meh ending for me. Like, I will say Odeon, uh, the, the first wizard who becomes his teacher, the one he admits to, like, you're my one true master. Like, I, I really dug him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like he, he was only in bits and pieces in the novel, but when he was there, he was like my favorite character. Yeah. He's, he's like, like, he's like, he's like the old dude story. who knows everything. Yep. He's kind of like Dumbledore. an older Ged. Exactly. He's like so Ged who's chill once he's chilled out. Yeah. <laughs> I think he smokes a lot of weed, too. Man, with all his herbs. Probably. Isn't he like a tree leader? Yeah. Turns out that's who Danny Glover <laughs> plays so in chill. the miniseries. Huh. Interesting. So I can totally see that. Cool. Ojean is Danny Glover. Cool. I, I took that. That is my headcanon now. All right. I am cool okay. with that. So... It's either him or like an Idris Elba, uh-huh. maybe. So unless I could totally see this as an interest. Yeah. <laughs> unless there's anything else that people are like dying to bring up that I didn't touch on because we yeah there's a lot there's a lot of book a lot of questions. Uh-huh. Um, I think we could go into just um, one by one discussing our pros and cons of the book and our rating. Do we want to have like a rating system? I like think stars. One of my go tos is uh, I listen to now playing and they have a pretty binary system of recommend and not recommend. I think R should be would be uh yes, would read again, uh would uh meh, okay, would not read again, and then no, never pick this never touch this ever. Yeah. I, that would be for like the really bad stuff. But I feel like whether or not we would read it again and whether or not you would even also recommend people to read it. Mm-hmm. I think Sounds that's a good. nice rather than giving it like a um, that's the problem with like Rotten Tomatoes and whatnot mm-hmm. is that it's like, oh, we have to give it a reading out of five, and it's like yeah. that's not how liking things work. Yeah, yeah. Like, my rating out of five isn't that great, but I love the book. Exactly. <laughs> like I love. <laughs> okay. Like I like this thing. You should read it. Uh, eh, 
I, I, it was okay. Would not, would not read. But you should okay. check it out. Or, eh, God, why? I hate this. So here, never touch it again. Burn it. So I'll no, don't burn off. books. Books. <laughs> yeah, do not burn books. Even the worst book out there, the Mind Kampf and the and the Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> mm-hmm. We should not set a precedent for burning books. Yeah, that is not good. Fair. That's fair. Anyway, so I will. Melody. Yeah, I will. I will kick us off. <laughs> Um, I will start with my prose. Um, I loved the way that words were carefully used and kind of um, the very subtle, how silence is its own power as well. Like the whole last wizard battle was all in silence, which I was like, that's uh-huh. badass. Um, I also, I enjoyed the, the visual aspect of the diversity. So many badass black and brown folks doing cool shit. And that's awesome. Yeah. We need more of that in the world. Uh-huh. Um, I also thought it was refreshing that it got away from Tolkien while still kind of feeling like high fantasy. Um, I enjoyed that there was no stupid political nonsense because I don't care. I don't care. I get enough of that in the real world. I don't want it in my escapism. Um, mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed how the magic that they used had real consequences if it went wrong like getting uh-huh. multiple comas were really cool so i just and i love the writing i love um i think i love the world i think i need to hear a little more about it but i think there's some really good foundation laid here um cons we already talked about the map thing i just thought it wasn't really eh, thought through a little bit um i was a little uh, bit dis- wins- yeah i was a bit disappointed in the a lack of wizard fireworks. Like, there were some good moments, but, you know, I was expecting, like, crazy shit. And um, I thought the writing was elegant, but I thought there was a lot of detachment from the characters. The, um, the book has a big problem of showing and, like, not telling. Like, it's, like, telling and not showing the problems. So, like, in dialogue... She doesn't, there's not a lot of dialogue in this book. She kind of just says, people had a conversation and this is what they talked about. And you don't, you don't get that character flavor that, like, I really Mm. need to latch onto it. So I think that, that main reason alone is why, it's like my, it just really didn't sit right with me the whole book. Like, I don't know who Ged is as a person, really. Um, Right. So I, I love what this book has done in the fantasy world. So I would say I would definitely uh, recommend it as a read. I think it's really important, especially if you're into fantasy worlds and world building, Mm -hmm. um, to give it a read. Um, uh, It's hard to say whether I'd read it again because there's more books. And I think maybe if I read the whole series, I'll want to come back. Right now, I don't want to come back. (laughs) Uh Because it was just kind of... I don't know. There wasn't enough story there for me to want to read it again. Um, but I think it's a, a smaller piece of a larger puzzle. So, is that all the ratings we're doing? Yeah, things? I think so. That's, okay, that's, cool. that sounds good. So that's, that's my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, my pros were I definitely liked the writing style. It was very different than, than what I've encountered before with, uh, with fantasy uh with high fantasy. Um yeah, the the prose, I just the I just found it was very dense, very like easy to follow. There wasn't like anything wasted like 
describing hair for five pages. Um, <laughs> cons, uh, I guess it 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 did feel like very single singly focused on on just Ged and not like any of the other characters. Like we're not seeing anything else of what's going on as a as a result or a consequence of of what mm-hmm. he's doing and his presence. And I feel like that could have maybe just sort of enriched the uh, the ongoing narrative a little. I I don't know. Um, I I I recommend it just because it's it is so different and so like, and it did make such a huge impact on the fantasy genre. But I don't know. I I, I yeah. I'm the same way. I would want to read the other books before I came back and read this one. Um, my pros, um, are that it really showed, um, it it showed a much more somber view of magic than, say, Harry Potter, Mm. where, you know, you wave a wand and a silly little thing happens. Um, you know, it really talked especially, um, oh. Ogian, Ogian, mm-hmm. um, wizard number one, um, Og, Og, yeah, the Og, that guy. Um, you know, he he never speaks without like it meaning something, and he never really does. Uh, he never really works any magic without fully considering the consequences and weighing it out. Um, and, you know, Ged does end up kind of taking that on, although part of it is him being chicken shit. Um, but, you know, I really like that magic is, is, is described as a, a, a tool rather than a toy, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, I mean, it was different than what we're used to, which can be a pro and a con, but, um, my cons was that it, 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 it kind of felt more like reading a newspaper article about this, I mean, a really long newspaper article, but still a newspaper article about this guy named Ged who did all this stuff rather than being emotionally pulled into the story. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't really emotionally invested in the story. Yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. wanted to see what happened because it was an interesting news piece, but I wasn't really emotionally invested. So, would I recommend it? Yes. Because it would take a lot for a fantasy novel to completely turn me off. Would I read it again on its own? No, I wouldn't. Um, unless it, like, I go to read the later books years from now and I'm like, well, I should probably read the first one first. But by the sounds of it, it almost feels like you don't even need to read this one before you read the other ones. Like, it almost feels like it would make more sense to read the other ones then come back to this one to get the main wizard badass's story. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's my piece. Cool. Cool. 
Okay, well, I'm here, so I can talk. Yay! Sorry, y'all. My pros, I really like the idea of this book. Um, I like the hero's journey. I like, you know, an origin story. Um, But my big hurdle is the language. I don't like the whole, let's tell you everything Mm -hmm. that happened, as opposed to experiencing what happened. Um, Not to, like, compare everything to Harry Potter. But, But, (laughs) uh, I mean... In Harry Potter, you're a part of the journey. You're a part of the story. At least you're experiencing it as you read it. And we don't get that in this right. book. And I know... And, and, and that's fine. But for me, that made it really hard to uh, get invested in the story. I mean, that first chapter for me was really painful. Uh, just because it was... And this, and this, and then this. Who is this? And uh, the, the whole three names thing was obnoxious to me. Hmm. Um... It just, yeah, but I mean, that's me. Uh, I Would I recommend? Probably not. Um, but I, I would say I'm in the neutral zone on this book. I like the idea, so I would be fine with reading more because the story's cool. Yeah. Um, but I guess I have to, I, I, I'd want to read the next books to see what the payoff right. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm kind of repeating everyone else's points. That um, yeah, the pros are it's, it's it's a nice refresher to have a more diverse fantasy world than the usual Eurocentric one that Tolkien kind of ultimately set the precedent for. And I feel mm-hmm. like even though even though that is the precedent, I feel like having adaptations where there are more diverse uh, castings, like where not everybody is. Blue, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, white folk is good. Yeah. Uh, I like. I yes. like. I like knowing that. How knowing this book's impact and this world's impact, where like we talked about how a lot of the stuff you saw bits of pieces of that in Spirited Away. You see it in like the Inheritance Cycle that uh, Paulini wrote. You see it in Harry Potter even. And it, this book kind of kind of is in that point where yeah, it's. It's an it's it sets some nice groundwork for other fantasy worlds and even its own fantasy world. The con, however, is the story it's trying to tell is ultimately like a prequel story. So it's like our first entry into this is the background to a character we don't know much of anything about. And like there's a reason we don't go there's a reason like the Star Wars prequels didn't really work because we didn't need the whole backstory of Darth Vader to like Darth Vader. He was a good character in and of himself, and trying to explain that backstory didn't really add anything to his character in the in the yeah. in the story we all know. So I feel like Ged as a character is kind of at first, at first he's a snotty little brat, then he becomes a wishy washy, and then he just becomes a, 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 just a, dude. a guy, a husk. He he is a, he is a person. Who exists? A body. He doesn't really have much of a personality besides that. I feel like the characters around him had more personality than him. Especially Vetch, yeah, and and we didn't yeah, really Vetch. get to learn about them. Exactly, and I feel like it's the it's the problem of having your main character be so bland that everything else around them. It's it's it's, it's the problem you see, in, and I think that's also why it ultimately ends up in a lot of young adult sections, is because. In young adult okay. fiction specifically, there's a lot of problems in writing the main character as a filler character. Hey, this is you. You are this yeah. character. Put your own 
thoughts and ideas and beliefs behind this character because they don't have any of their own. Whereas a lot of of really good books that go beyond that are able to be like, this is his own unique, well-constructed character. And Ged is like, yeah, it's kind of a snotty little brat. At least that's something. But then after that, it's just like, he exists and does stuff. Like, he never really... We yeah. never get the idea of well, is he? Uh, is, is he like, now that he understands the power? Is he? Is it like we don't really get his inner monologue either, mm-hmm. which is the problem. So we get a lot of descriptions of what's happening. We don't get his inner monologue. We don't hear a lot of dialogue of him talking to other people. He's kind of introverted ultimately, but we don't. There's nothing a lot. There's nothing really to him. Maybe it's fixed in later books, but in this one, it's kind of a slog ultimately, yeah. and so. It clicks. I would recommend. At least. <laughs> uh, I would recommend. <laughs> maybe not this. Maybe not start with this book. I feel like check this book out. See if you like it. Otherwise, I, you might want to start late. Uh, this is one of those weird instances where I feel like you you would almost be better off to start later in the series. Yeah. But like, I want to. I would like to know more of the Earth Sea saga. I want to <laughs> know more about this universe. Uh huh. This isn't yeah. exactly the best entry point. It's kind of a bit of a stumbling block. Ultimately, yeah. but at the same time, I wouldn't. I would. I would not not recommend it. I wouldn't okay. not recommend <laughs> okay. it. I would say okay. don't avoid this book, but you know, not. I'm not going to say you should read it, but I feel like there. I feel like there. She may improve overall as the stories go yeah. on. I feel like yeah. there's a reason Ghibli went with Tales from Mercy and not just straight up. A wizard uh, adapting a wizard of Earthsea. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun there's fact. more. There's and more. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That adaptation exactly. is actually the amalgamation of four of the books. Oh, oh that always works. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so that's okay. why it's that, weird. That, that's, that's what Disney did with the Black Cauldron. Yeah. It took three books and tried to make it one movie. That's totally not a terrible idea. And oh man, but yeah. Um, so yeah, give it a shot, but don't like maybe you love it more than I did, but. I, you know, I probably won't revisit this again until, unless I want to be like, oh, but what about this thing that happened again after reading a later book? Right. Yeah. But I would, I would give a recommend to the Earthsea Saga. Maybe find a better entry point for yourself. Yeah. Give a, do, do some like a sample of it online. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right. All righty. Uh, shall we tell them what's coming up next? Coming up next is Lamb, uh, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. By Christopher Moore. <laughs> that is quite the title. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Can you give us some idea of what it. that's it's up? G- it's going to be a hilarious experience. Can, can you give us an idea of what to expect from that? Um, uh, well, it's, it's, it's by Christopher Moore, who is this sort of absurdist novelist, uh, who's, who's known for this sort of, like, overly funny style, which I kind of enjoy. Uh, he's he's kind of like... Uh, a post two thousands Vonnegut, if you will. Ooh, I like that comparison. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then I'm guessing this is just a, a, his send up of the Gospels and uh, right, right. This this is sort of his attempt to fill in the time between Jesus's childhood and when he started preaching. So there's like a twenty year gap there. Cool. Yeah, thirteen to thirty three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you all for checking out our first episode. We hope you liked it. Are we are we plugging things? Yes, this is the part where we okay. plug. Okay. 
<laughs> it was just silence. I'm like, well, I don't really have any plugs. <laughs> um, sadly, we don't have any social media at this point. Uh, I still need to set that stuff up. Uh, I was going to wait until I got some more of the artwork back before setting up full social media accounts. That's fine. But yeah, basically okay. look for Living in the Stacks, if you're listening to this after the fact, uh, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Tumblr, uh, Instagram probably at some point. Um, but well, I'm going to try and set up stuff across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look for us and your various social media platforms. We should be there by the time you're hearing this. And we, we do have an email that I've yes. confirmed, and it is livinginthestackscast at gmail.com. That's probably because somebody took right. Living in the Stacks Living in the Stacks cast at gmail.com. Cool. And if you want to have, and if you have your own um, suggestions for stuff you would like to hear us cover, send that, send your suggestions, and even your own thoughts on the book, if you've read it, or, um, you know, if it's like one of your favorites, or you've recently read it, mm-hmm. and let us know. And let us know on the future stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we got a couple more. We got. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll do it this time around. Uh, thank you to Dream States for writing the theme to our podcast. Uh, you can check them out on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and anywhere else music is streamed. Uh, you can specifically check out their debut album, Parts One and Two. Uh, that's Dream States, one word. DNS are capitalized. D- Dream States, all one word. Dream and States capitalized. And uh, you can check me out. I'm here on the Gumby Cat Networks. I do Popcorn Junkie, Maji Day, and I'm hoping to get Tragic Missile, the D&D podcast, back up and running. But it's been so long because that freaking audio drift. (laughs) Audio drift is the devil. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. See you next time. I think each of us are doing our own So eager to go. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, um... I am. No, I'm kidding. I guess we'll, we'll go in our, our usual order. Um, I don't really have anything that exciting to plug, but if you want to chat with me on Twitter, I'm at, at Minikui. So M I N I K U I. That's it. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, I am currently working on my own serial fiction podcast that's still in the works, but it's called Letters to Samuel, and I'm working on beefing up the Patreon page for that right now. Uh, otherwise, just follow me on Twitter at Maxolotl, M-A-X-O-L-O-T-L 6-7. That's an awesome name. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm lame. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. You can never talk to uh, Dex, and ever. Nope. Ever. Dex I don't, not I don't Twitter. <laughs> I mean... But you may, you're the smart one of us. <laughs> you don't, you yeah. That you're saving life. yourself a lot of headache by not yep. Twittering. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Macintosh and Mod. Uh, I run three podcasts over there. Uh, take your pick. Cool. And you also have plans for 20 more, like just like I do? <laughs> uh my husband has one he's working on now and then we just decided the other day that we couldn't deny we had to do another one because we just keep talking about it yeah. so Five yeah. times. this is the life yeah. of a podcaster <laughs> alright is that everyone? we all plug what we want? Yeah. All right. cool. <laughs> alright so until next time lit is lit and you'll find <laughs> us living in the stacks
Bye. Bye-bye. Peace. <laughs>